Oh, okay. <laughs> there was a, there was a run for a while where um, when Fox Twenty Nine was still like a thing here in the Twin yeah. Cities, where um, anything with fuck in it was fruit or fruiting, oh. and uh, fruit. one of the greatest things I. I, I <laughs> I collect very odd duck friends and uh, my buddy Brandon in college, we all went home for Christmas and he came back and he was like, you guys, I got the idea. We're getting high and we're watching a movie tonight I'm like, on Fox. I'm cool. All right. What are we doing? And he busts out this VHS tape and you know, we dubbed? we busted out. Yeah. It was dubbed off TV <laughs> and we busted out a bong and I, Oh fuck. I think, Ooh, I want to say it, it was, Red October was the name of the bong. They yeah. had Bongzilla, Red October, and then oh. there was another one. But anyway. The movie and the bong were Red October. Yeah, no, sadly. <laughs> it was Goodfellas overdubbed by Fox. So every single time Joe Pesci fruit, said fruit. fuck, it was fruit. He's like, this fruit mother fruiter is fruiting over here. Fruit, fruit. Was it, oh was my it God. his voice? It was, Did it sound like him? No. It was oh, like another high-pitched voice, but it was very clearly <laughs> not him. And he goes off on so many profanity laden mm. uh, rants that you would lose what his actual speaking voice was for a little while. Cause there was so much they had to overdub. Right. And I thought it was one of the funniest things ever. Like it was like a, like an Andy Kaufman prank coming sure. all the way back around, but that was it. And then, you know, and then you had to watch the commercials. That of was course. like, that was like the Mr. Show skit about <laughs> the dubbing. And they did the, like the, the voice was like the robo voice. And he goes, mother, father, Chinese dentist. Yes. And then he puts his hand up to do a middle finger. And then they put a thumb floating around. Like it was like shaky over the middle finger. <laughs> that's like my favorite. That's one of my favorite lines ever. Mother, father, Chinese dentist. Chinese dentist. <laughs> Um, there was a, uh, one of my favorite mad TV sketches was, uh, Will Sasso played, um, Tony Soprano and it was, it was the, the, the intro was, and now a special presentation by PAX Christian network of the Sopranos and they had to edit everything out. And so it's two hours, it's two minutes and four seconds oh, so of, them, of them just using like adjoining words. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, it's, he'd bring his hand back and all of a sudden there's somebody with just like a bloody face and he's like, you, that, and then he's eating a sub or something. Yeah. <laughs> Credits. I would love because the, the guys that had to do that had to have enjoyed that. Like, if you're in the editing room, you oh, have to sure. understand how absurd this is. Like, it, it's the content is maybe the problem, not necessarily <laughs> the f word. You know, like that's. But that's all they care about. We just got to get by network standards. Especially if they let you use any word. As a child, the one I remember most was watching Desperado, and there was a line where he says, "If I knew it was my sister, you were flying." <laughs> flying, you were, you were doing what? If I knew it, if I knew it was kite, my sister, like, you were flying. <laughs> I, lo I I love how they did it in Fantastic Mr. Fox, though, where he's just like it's it's just cussing, like he just says yeah. like this this yeah. cussing cuss. It's right. like that's cuss, just cuss, cuss. Yeah. just good. That's that great. Good. Yeah. That's actually creative right. and interesting. Like I love that. I also was really obsessed with that movie. Yeah. I, I didn't realize that I was like a Wes Anderson huge fan until like halfway through what we have as the catalog right now. I was like, if I made like a top 25, I think all of these movies might be in it. I haven't seen a lot of the newer ones just Same, because. Surprisingly, actually. Grand Budapest Hotel might be my favorite. I think I saw just the marketing started getting so big, especially being in coffee. Mm. Like, oh, God. Because they would date like for the, I think the past two movies, they did coffee shop takeovers where they turned coffee shops and they were like you know some of them were 
companies I've worked with in the past for different things and stuff. So it's like, oh, like my friend's shop is like, we worked with Medici in Austin. So they always got that stuff. Like with South by Southwest, they would get of course crazy. Ta- like they were one of the ones that turned into the place from um, Gilmore Girls when they did that oh, turnover okay. and stuff. So it's just like that, like the, the lead up to the Wes Anderson films is so much that like by the time they come to like rental, I just am not in the mode for it. Yeah. Because <laughs> I've seen so much about it. What, like, what do you, like being in that industry, like how do you, how do you see that? Is that like something fun and interactive? Or is that just like exhausting? Like, yes, come on in yet again and it, do the turnaround. It depends. I, like it depends on how authentic it feels. Sure. To be honest, like, you know, it, the weird thing is it's like, it's always some of the outside marketing company. So it, it's, it, it doesn't really benefit the coffee shop besides like a bump in sales for the day. Yeah. I mean, they probably get a paycheck obviously to like right. roll their sign down. And but people aren't going back like weekly to be like, Oh, this was where we did the Wes Anderson pop up seven months ago. Yeah. And, and it's like, usually it'll be to get the pastry from that. And it, I mean, it's kind of like the way I look at coffee beers. Like, in the past, people would come to us to do a coffee beer and like want a super great deal because like, well, we're co-branding it. It's like, okay, cool. Who's gonna come buy my coffee because it stood out in a coffee beer? Like, you know, when they're fun companies to work with, I'll do them. Sure. When it's a fun concept that sounds like it'll be good, I'll do them. But like, I like coffee and I like beer. Yep. I usually keep them separate. Like back, my old company back in Bend. We worked with um, uh, uh, Boneyard right when they opened. Sure. And like Tony's, you know, founding brewer or first brewer at Deschutes. Yeah. He journeymaned everywhere. Like Boneyard was a huge deal when they opened too. Yeah. And like, I, so we went the first day the article opened. My friend and I went right at close mm. and we caught them at close. And they ended up taking us over next door to the clubhouse, their old biker clubhouse. And we hung out for like three hours. And we did a collab with Boneyard, but it was literally us taking three salts that we thought were going to be similar, a pipette with our cold brew, and we were droppering in, making, mixing the ratio. One of our baristas named it because we were back porch in Boneyard, so it was the backbone. I have graphic design mm. background, so I did the tap handle. So, like, that was a collaboration that all made sense. Like, they were our cousin, but, like, you get, you know, someone coming in, like, we'll give you a case of beer. Like, uh, what's that I, do? that I'm... Sure. Gotta sell product. <laughs> I kind of feel like in in this day and age, collabs a lot of times are just like, are they friends that I want to hang out with for a while? Yeah, then let's do something. Times, yeah, yeah, have a good time. But that's yeah. not gonna change anybody's prospectus sure. on their P and L for the year. Yeah, I've done some unique collaborations between clients. You know, Up Coffee's been a client mm-hmm. of mine, and I work with a lot of breweries, and I'm very involved in the creative and conceptual process. So when I'm doing a coffee beer between entities like we're hand selecting this is the roastery we want to work with and these Mm -hmm. are you know like uh, this is maybe the flavor profile that we're interested in and can you bring us some samples and then we're like super involved in working together to create the product but a lot of times it is kind of a handshake like you make coffee we make beer we want to put coffee in a beer Mm -hmm. oh all right cool and then it's just shaking the hand and then you put the icon on the on the can for a month and then it's game over right I feel like uh, our listeners out there definitely probably recognize two of the voices on this, but uh, given that we do have an authority on all things coffee in here, <laughs> we should probably let you introduce yourself before we yeah. go any further. Yeah. Uh, would you let everybody who's listening know who you are and, and kind of what you're up to? 
Yeah, uh, my name is Tony Quario. I'm a coffee roaster. Uh, I've been working in coffee for 15 years. And uh, coming up on two years now, um, I started my own company. Uh, in that company, we do, uh, we're predominantly a roasting business. I do a little bit of consulting. And then um, we have two brands that I own myself called Silverbird Roasting Company and Acorn Coffee Club. Uh, Silverbird's your... Um, sell a lot to coffee shops, um, predominantly wholesale and direct consumer in that regard. Um, and then Acorn is a subscription only direct consumer brand that um, in each box you get two bags. You get our daily drinker, which is a go-to blend that's going to be really good every day. And then a little uh, two ounce bag of something extra special that kind of changes every month, but it's something special for the weekend. Kind of came out of that concept of you know, when I buy myself a nice bottle of whiskey or I'm gifted a nice bottle of whiskey, that last little bit sits in the bottom of that bottle in my liquor cabinet <laughs> forever because I don't want it to be gone. I would go visit my uh, mother-in-law and you know, make that trip once a year. And I and she'd pull out the bag of brother last time. I was like, mom, you know, I'm coming with a bag of coffee <laughs> yes, for you. No, I'm bringing I that. brought that for you to drink. <laughs> and she like saves it for a special occasion. But it's like, no, like, but I, I kind of had that thought of like, well, if every time I bought a bottle of, you know, wild turkey, if I got a li little baby bottle of one of their more premium things mm. every time, I would I wouldn't be afraid to open it, correct? Because it sure it's going to be there next time. Yep. Um, so that's kind of where that idea came from. Can I ask where's like mom? Uh, she was in Indiana, okay, uh, other side of Chicago. Um, but now she lives a couple miles away from us up in Northeast. So Columbia Heights. This is, this is locality bias because I've always blamed my tendency to do that on the fact that I'm Minnesotan and nobody will ever eat the last piece of anything yeah. because we don't want to be the one that, that kills it. And now having a, a pretty extensive home bar, I watch all of my friends when they come over and everyone does that. They leave that last little bit. And look, sure. if it's something nice, I understand that's like a sign of respect. But when it's something that's, you know, in that like $20 range, and I'm like, what are you doing? Like you short port a cocktail and you're probably going to want to go back. And then you're going to grab a different bottle because you don't want to be the one to ca like cash it. But maybe that's, maybe it's, maybe I just assume that about Minnesota people because we do it with food. I think we're becoming so self-aware about it now because people talk about it this way. I hope so. Now that we're vocal about it, I think people almost will, uh, in spite of themselves, grab the last piece of pizza because they're like, well, I'm not going to be a typical Minnesotan. Yep. They grab, they're full and they grab the last slice of pizza. Good. Because they're trying to Good. in the face of I, I This is a PSA right now. <laughs> be that person in your friend group. Yeah. Announce it yeah. to everybody and right. take the last thing. It's okay to finish something. Again, yes. especially if it's something that can be replaced. Yeah, For sure. If it's something that's special to somebody and it's not you who got the special thing, then yeah, <laughs> maybe give it a little bit of reverence. But yeah. Sorry, I was just, I was no, fascinated by that. No, I mean, and like, it kind of, like, my ethos on coffee kind of uh, was really shaped by a coworker um, back at uh, one of my earlier jobs. And he was, he was super minimalist about everything he could be. And he just kind of said one day, he's like, coffee is a luxury. We don't need coffee to survive. So right. if we are going to consume this product, we have a moral obligation to consume the best that we can. Sure. And, you know, I, I try to hold that with everything. And, you know, there is 
context and there's, you know, means and all kind of, everything goes into that. But we, any, anything of, of that nature that we, if we don't need it to survive, we must do it in the best way that we can. Um, and you can get, you know, zealous about that, but it's just kind of the perspective I try and hold. And it's shaped how I look at coffee since I heard that from him like 12 years ago or something. I think that's brilliant. I think we sort of, we probably all live by similar tenets because I'm the same way when, especially anything that is a luxury, it's worth doing, it's worth doing well, right? Um, I feel that way about wine. Like, I know a lot of people are a little shameless about, you know, they'll drink the Franzia or they'll drink a, a bottle of wine that they don't particularly enjoy because they're like, it tastes like grapes and it'll eventually get me where I'm going, but I, I can't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. I feel that way about a lot of things, cigars, wine, beer, coffee, whiskey, like pretty much across the board. So the, yeah, if it's a luxury and you're going to do it, why not do it well? Yeah. Right? One of the first sommeliers in my life, uh, I helped proctor some of his testing while he was going through it. And I was just trying to soak up all of the knowledge that I could because I knew at that point in my life that I wasn't going to take the time to actually like study all of that because I had a lot of other stuff mm-hmm. going on. So uh, I would literally try and just go through as we're testing these questions and as I'm blind tasting, I'm tasting with him knowing what the answer is. And then I'm listening to how he's analyzing everything. And when we kind of got done with that run and he passed his test, we went out to celebrate. And um, I was asking him like, what's the biggest thing that, that you've learned? Like, you know, give me some broad strokes of, of this. Cause I think even in my own personal life, that's something that I might want to try someday. And he said, honestly, the biggest thing that I've learned is the difference between like a $5 bottle of sale wine and like a 14 or $15 bottle of wine is infinitely greater than the difference between a $15 bottle of wine and like a $50 mm. bottle of wine. Like once you, once you get past, we're not just mass cranking this out and tinting it and flavoring it so that people can chug it. Once you get past that and you start to get into the craft, then it's all up to your palate and you can decide where it goes from there. But I think that's where that comes in, that this is a luxury. And if I'm tasting a product that was really thoughtfully made by somebody who cares about it, then I should try and learn more about it and then figure out like, okay, well, where does my palate lie? And how can I learn more about this so that I'm like a more educated consumer? And I feel like that applies to a lot of things in in life. Well, I think there's there's also the context though too, like on the other side of it, like going back to coffee, if I'm in a greasy spoon diner, I want greasy spoon diner coffee. Yes. Like uh, even though I can come across as a coffee snob to a lot of people, like I want the coffee that fits that. And the same thing, like, you know, a lawnmower beer I, or a shower beer, like I want a shower sure. beer. Yeah. And like, I, I don't like there, there's flavors that fit that. And, Time and place <laughs> and memory. Right? Yeah. So like a greasy spoon diner with a borderline burnt cup of really bad beans or probably. I feel like that's where you just got to call it a ago. cup of Joe. Like that's, that's <laughs> totally. the only place yeah. where like Joe. But I, but I love it. It's like too hot and it's kind of watery and it's always like over roasted and it's, you know, it's been ground forever, but that with your greasy spoon breakfast is just appropriate. Yeah. And it, it's the bitter that That's the meal needs. Absolutely. Like you're having, yeah. like it, it, it cuts flapjacks. <laughs> like I don't normally order it, but when I'm getting it, like, I don't, I don't want a nice cup of coffee here. Yeah. It's weird. That's where I drink the most coffee is in a diner. Cause I, I really limit my intake these days. I, I just don't want 
to pump that much caffeine into my system because I don't even need it. I just enjoy coffee. But if I'm in a greasy spoon diner, I'll drink like eight cups of that shit. Mm -hmm. Keep it coming. You know, they just keep topping you off. And next thing you know, I'm like, wow, I drank way too much fucking coffee. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody with a voice of like a thousand cat tongues and 2000 cigarettes just comes by like, you doing good, honey? And like, yes, please more. I don't, (laughs) I I understand this interaction and I say yes every time. I can't, I can't say no. Right. Thank you, Deborah. (laughs) You're welcome. Oh, I guessed. You're welcome, sweetie. I didn't know that was your name, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Patty and or Selma, thank you very much. (laughs) Um, Obviously, you you said like the length that you've been uh, in the coffee world. We don't have to go super in-depth, but can you just give uh, give everybody sort of an overview of sort of where it started and then how you ended up here in Minnesota? Yeah. Um, So I started in coffee in 2007. Um, I went to a small college in Chicago and I needed insurance after graduating and all that kind of stuff. So I got a job at Starbucks because that's what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a crazy busy, um, it's Oak and Rush store. Um, so like Gold Coast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Right I mean, I got yeah. stories. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was a year like three movies were filmed in Chicago. And, and wouldn't I, that have been... Was that like at the height of the 27 word long Starbucks orders? Well, we, I mean, this was Gold Coast. So like everybody's a multimillionaire. Got it. So we had customers who had their own signature drinks. Oh God. And they didn't know what they were, but they knew if you made it wrong. (laughs) Oh, that's a nightmare. I had customers that like, like, I don't mean to be customer the customer bashing person, but these stories are just so, so out there. We had one customer who wanted, like, when I left that area, moved to Oregon, still was working in Starbucks, and people go in the back room and cry because they got yelled at by a customer. I was like, you, that, <laughs> Over that? That, that, was, that was yelled at? Like, a no-foam latte was no-foam. We had one customer that you had to make a no-foam, non-fat latte, nothing, and scoop on whole milk foam, one inch thick. Shut up. And that's not even, the, like, we had a a woman who had her own fashion line and boutique around the corner, and one of our coworkers made a drink for her with her name in it, and she would come in and just order, like, I want my mocha. And we're like, but what is that? She's like, I don't know, but you, you all make it. Max made it for me. And it was... Like, it was the most complicated. Like, it was stacked up, scooped on foam with powder. It was just all kinds of stuff. So, like, and, and I mean, literally be cursed out multiple times the a Andrea day. Andrea Mocha. And, yeah. Like, we had, um, it was such a busy store that we had someone at the door with walkie-talkie calling orders to the double bar. So, their orders would be made before they even placed stum and... That is fascinating to me. It, it, it was just, it was a it was a whole wild ride. And like like I spent seventeen years working in bars and nightclubs, and that is a level of stress that I never once encountered. Yeah, like it, that's, it, that's, yeah, that's I mean, insane. That's how make mar- bartenders make me martinis. But well, yeah, yeah. I mean, we had like bo- bottle service. <laughs> bottle service was a, a yeah. different kind of thing. You, you yeah. got you yeah. know, like when that's I was different. actually like running a club, mm. there were some nightmare people that like you had to greet them in a certain you way, and ready. they could only be at a certain everything table. Had to be and everything there. had to be there. But like that's nobody had to create something out <laughs> yeah. of fucking rock well, we, cloth. I mean, and we had like three nightclubs across the street. This was a year. Batman and three other movies were filmed in the city. So it's just like, oh, oh Aaron Eckhart is at the register. And, oh, Mandy Moore's in right now. And 
there's someone, some famous person making out with somebody in the corner. Mm-hmm. And like two it, shots uh, for Two Face. It was also like, like we we literally our doors wouldn't bolt down into the ground because we opened really early in the morning and people pulled on them so hard to, <laughs> that they literally <laughs> bent the bolts going into the ground. Oh it was, I mean, it was just, it was a whole, whole experience. I was, I mean, I was only there for a year. I moved out to Oregon, um, stayed with, stayed with Starbucks for two more years. But that, that last bit of it, um, that summer I started working at Starbucks, my now wife was interning out in Oregon. I went on visitor. She took me to this little mom and pop coffee roastery and I had a, a drink and a pastry there. And I was just like, oh, this is, this is different. I was already like <laughs> getting into coffee, like yeah. being in Chicago at that time. Metropolis was doing amazing things. Intelligentsia was, you know, up the street. Yep. And so I knew what better coffee was, but I like, I didn't feel like I was worthy to apply to those, those sure. Goliaths. Um, but we go to this little mom pop and I'm like, oh, this is different. And, uh, the owner hears us talking that we're from Chicago and she's like, you know, do you go to Moody? I'm like, how do we stand out in Oregon? Like it's, I mean, it's a small college and she's like, oh, I have like two, co- two cousins there. I'm like, oh yeah, they're your cousins. Cool. Like I hang out with them. That's awesome. <laughs> um, so after we moved there, I would go there and I like kept wanting to get a job there because it's a really amazing spot. So I'd like go to the, the cuppings and like, you know, try and work my way into being like good enough to get a job there. Owner came to me after a while and was like, Hey, we're expanding. Give us your resume. And that whole process ended up taking another year from like building out the new spot and like making it work. But I jumped over to them. Uh, and then a couple months later, one of our, uh, one of the, uh, leadership team, I think he had some stake, uh, left to move to, Portland, because that's what you did when you started in, as a coffee and Bend. You worked there for a couple of years. And you went to Portland because <laughs> um, that was when everything, you know, all the competitors to Sumptown were opening up in Portland. That's when Heart opened, Cova opened, sure. Coffee House Northwest, like this huge. I mean, Portland literally was r- running the coffee world, and I, I was a, they were throwing a big middle finger to Seattle. Like, there's a famous coffee store of uh, uh, Tacoma by Storm when. Portland went up to the coffee competition in Tacoma and swept everything. And, it, awesome. and it was just like, a, like, awesome. like, cause it's that, that attitude that Seattle carried for a long time. of like, yeah, we were cool in the nineties. Like, mm. yeah, you were, you started all a bunch mm-hmm. of shit, but other people have caught up. Like you're, you're not sure. running the shit anymore. Um, so he moved up and did that. And I just kind of turned to the owner. I was like, Hey, um, I know I'm pretty new here, but I'd really be interested in learning to roast and helping out with packaging or whatever, uh, whatever that means. Like, I know there's a hole that needs to be filled and he, you know, ended up offering me that position. So I worked for them for a total of three years. Um, the two, uh, trips with them to Costa Rica and El Salvador with farms we worked with. And then, um, that same guy whose job I took, uh, he was reached out to by another industry peer and I said, Hey, there's this job coming up in Minneapolis. Are you interested? And he's like, no, I just started my own thing. Uh, but you should talk to Tony. So I got a message from him one day when I was roasting. I was like, oh, why is Keith contacting me? And, you know, we had a phone call and he's like, hey, there's, you know, this job position opening up. It's about to go public, but um, Jeremy recommended you and you should apply. 
I did, you know, went through that whole process and ended up getting the job to come here to Minneapolis to start the roasting program for Spy House. Um, worked with them for seven years. Um, you know, won a bunch of, we won good food awards there. We finalist for Roast Magazine's Micro Roaster of the Year two times, I believe. Um, 2016, I won U.S. Roaster Championship. 2017, I had a bye to the finals. I'm like, well, and I was a last year, you couldn't go to Worlds. So I was, on, I was mm. on the phone call to be a judge, and they're like, oh, we actually are going to Worlds this year. And Tony, you get a bye to the finals if you want. So I was like, oh, well, I mean, I'm already going to be at the show, so I might as well enter. Yep. Um, but the format changed in between. And I ended up taking second by a couple points. <laughs> and like I was saying that whole, that whole time going up to like anything but second, anything but second. Because... <laughs> We'd want, like, the winner got a trip to Brazil, and, like, I had went the year before, and, like, it sounds horrible, but I didn't want to go back on that trip. Yep. And I didn't want to have to have the conversation with the people providing the trip with just, like, you know, I, I don't buy from you. I'm not going to buy from you. Yeah. This is a 10-day trip. I just, I can't justify being gone that long, mm-hmm. you know, for, I mean, it's a learning opportunity, and there's, there's just, I mean, I ended up being able to, you know, I, offered it i'm like hey would you give it to third place like they're really coming up in coffee they and they did offer to it end up not working out but um yeah so i've done a a ton of different things in coffee i think i was trying to total it up the other day and i think i've gone to eight countries 16 trips um i've done the farm that i won the u.s roaster championship with um i went back the next year and did experiments to help them like find their recipes for what you do with coffee. I've taken it off the tree sure. processing. So we did a wash and natural process, eight experiments, those coffee, those methods end up going on the next year to take first and third in us barista. Amazing. So, um, yeah, I've got to do some pretty cool, crazy things. And now got to a point where it's like, well, you know, I, I didn't want to be a boss. Um, I, you know, I always had those dreams going back to Chicago, opening my own shop. That's what my wife and I were going to do. And then um, the Moros and coffee, it's like, oh, I just don't want to, I don't want to be responsible for everyone. And this opportunity came to like roast for a company that had two cafes and was opening a third where we could do it our way. And it's like, oh, that's great. And I got more and more of being a boss. I was like, I don't want to be a boss. Then my jobs are becoming more and more about being a boss. (laughs) And it was like, you know, various factors were coming together. And it's like, all right, it's time. I got to, I got to do my own thing. Um, You know, I had the idea for Acorn, um, on a trip in Guatemala on a rooftop drinking Zacapa. <laughs> and it's that like, sounds yeah. perfect. <laughs> and it was based on the farms we were working with there. Like I, I was cupping through coffees and like their community lots were so good, but we had this one farmer there that was phenomenal. And, um, we were judging producer competition. So all the farmers submitted their coffees and we scored them, ranked them, but our coffee was kept out of it because we bought them the previous two years. So after all the competition, I got to finally taste this coffee and that's where I kind of got that idea of like coffees from here, like the group coffees are so good. And these farmers have some, and that, so initially Acorn was always two bags from the same place. COVID messed up sure. coffee buying and everything. So now I transitioned to making it an anchor blend representing primary groups we've worked with and then okay. changing the coffee each month into a, the other coffee in each month into oh, an experience. Amazing. Do you, do you hold any animosity to who took first? Um, no, he's a great he's a great friend, and I mean, it is like what frustrates me is that be, 
with the format changing so much, I didn't know, you know, I read all the rules, but there was like one of the parts was I didn't say elevation. Mm. I said the effect of the elevation. We were, you're at a time limit. So I'm, I'm like, I'm, you don't need to know the back of the baseball card. Right. I'm going to tell you what this, yeah. and, but I didn't say elevation. So I lost points there and things like mm. that, that, but the guy who won is a great friend of mine, um, Mark. And like the guy who won two years after that, when he went to worlds, I was on like, some, I was on his, his su- support team from the U S. So as he was planning how to approach, cause it's a weird, way different ball game at worlds. U S has now morphed to match it, but you have to kind of like call your shot before you get to the roaster. Like you draw, this is the, this is are my temp points. I'm going to hit throughout it. Sure. And you get, you lose points if you deviate from that a certain amount, even if it tastes better. So we sure. were like helping him texting back and forth. Like how, how like what do we want to do to go into this? So he's telling us what the coffee's behaving like. And we're like, you know, I'll just kind of brainstorming along with him. So that was, that was really cool and fun. That's, it's so fascinating. Like I'm, I am absolutely a novice at best. Like I'm learning my, my wife is devoted to coffee. And so she has sort of been my trainer through all of this and everything that I know, I, I know through her. But once, once we started looking at like how a 10th of a degree can make a difference depending on where you're at is it's, it's wild. Yeah. Like it just, uh, it, it's cool. I don't know. Should we, uh, oh, Charles. We have we have whiskey. We do have whiskey. Um, I'm ready to dive in, but yeah, we got Michter's rye to drink. Tony requested some rye whiskey, and uh, we went with an old reliable bottle. Let's get that. Yep, Michter's small batch straight rye. Oh yeah. Well, shit. What do you say? Let's get into it. Let's we also it. got a bottle of sour mash, but we'll see so if we, uh, we dig into that as well. But yeah, cheers. Gentlemen, Tony, Cheers. thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much. Guam, you're up to bat, my friend. I is, I is, I is. All right, mm. so um, coffee in the morning might be like one of the most ubiquitous things across cultures, right? But from aside from that, like everybody starts to deviate. So what is your actual morning routine? Like when you get up, do you have a set of things that you do? <laughs> Um, well, I have a seven year old and a three month old at home right now. (laughs) So you have, you have chaos. Yeah. Um, my seven year old routinely wakes up between five and five 45 and then comes into our room every morning to see us and, um, see his brother and he's got, before he goes, has cartoons and he's got his Oh, and like every morning he leaves saying, I love you. I love you. And I love you all. And I don't, I don't, we were just like trying to figure out what that means. Either way, that's the sweetest thing ever. Like yeah. A TV show host kind of thing. Uh, he's got his own Spay new to your off. pets, everybody. Um, so generally most mornings I wake up and, you know, twiddle on my phone for a while while my wife is getting ready. Um, and then, you know, hold, hold the baby while she's getting ready and stuff. And then, um, she'll go down and like get the boys ready for, for school or grandma's or wherever they're, the, whatever they're doing that day. And then I'll get ready in the morning. I just, I need a bit to, of like, just, I'm no, I'm just wasting time and I, it, I'm not proud of it, but I just need time to just like 
you know, check my email, like make sure like nothing has like blown up overnight. Not that it ever does, but I just, I get that anxiety and then just honestly Instagram. And then, um, our morning coffee, we use a decently high quality, uh, home drip machine because we have kids and drip machines. I mean, drip machines are good. Like I, I find it funny when people, um, are like pour over elitists and like that's not the same thing that the machine does, but is <laughs> done by a machine. Like people that w- will go into a coffee shop and like leave cause they don't have pour over when they have a really well programmed drip right. machine. It's like, okay, that pour over is done by a person yeah. who is fallible. Yeah. That is done sure. by a machine. It's taking yeah. hot water and going drip, 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 drip. And it's all measured for you. Yeah, the fear that's conditioned in people is that the water's too hot. Yeah. The fear that's conditioned in people. But it's usually... Myself that included. The, the, like, the, what makes a bad coffee maker bad is water's not hot enough. Right. Like, Mr. Coffee just don't get hot enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's plenty of affordable home drip machines that are great now. And, like, your grinder's way more important than, than your machine uh, ever is. So just, like, that's, like we have a home drip machine and it's even like acorn is set at the same dose that I use for my home machine mm. and it perfectly matches four cups of water. So like I have a four cup water pitcher that I fill to the line, dump that on top of the brewer, you know, measure out 60 grams. You know, I have a fellow oat. I have a nicer home grinder, yeah. but um, that like it's, it's it coffee shouldn't be that hard. Um, you can make it hard and you can do some really amazing things by doing really like I went to the, the national championship for Brewers Cup, but the year before I did roasters and like I did crazy things like setting a grinder at two different settings and like all kinds of stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And there, like you can get magical things to happen. But if you start with a good product and you treat it, you're going to get a good result. And then it's going off to work and you know, depending on the day, you know, are you, are you a morning shower person? Are you, a? Uh, usually, <laughs> I mean, I, no, like, no, usually I'm a morning shower. I'm just laughing now because it's been so hot and humid. Yeah. yeah and, it's disgusting um, in Minnesota right now. I don't have AC in my roastery. Oh. So it like today roasting. Oh my God. Was brutal. Um, yeah. it, and I mean, I'm standing next to a, a giant, machine that's running 450 degrees you have the world's biggest space seater yeah right next to you um so like i in the summertime i become a night shower yeah but yeah usually morning sometimes both the summer year because it's been it's been a hot nasty summer here <laughs> it seems like the world is trending in that direction so like like there's you know Wee. global pandemic problems yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know <laughs> Uh, Charles, what about you? What's your, what's your morning? Uh, I'm, I'm a very get up and go individual. We've talked about this. I sit up like the undertaker It pisses my wife off. Uh, and my, my MO on work days in particular is like, let's get to work. So outside of, uh, doing hygienic stuff and then taking the dog out, feeding the animals, uh, coffee is like central to my, my habits in the morning. Are you a, a pre-coffee toothbrusher or a post-coffee toothbrusher? Actually, for both of you. Uh, I, I brush my teeth first, yes. Okay. I do. Um, usually, 
like on the weekends, it's one on each side. Cause I'll, I'll do a couple mugs in the morning. Sure. So it's like, I'll have my, my mug and then it's like, Oh, I should probably like go brush my teeth. It's, it's been a while. Yeah. And then, then, then I'll, but normally it's, you know, I do the, do the bathroom stuff run down. Like I don't even usually have a cup, a cup of coffee until about a half hour into work. Like then I'll open my thermos at work. Got like, it. I, I stall and then like, okay, I need to go get stuff done. Sure. Yeah, I do. Um, I brush my teeth first because I actually uh, delay my consumption of coffee by at least one hour after waking. Because recent studies purport that your natural uh, cortisol production in your body requires that hour before you start consuming coffee, or at least if for you to maintain your regular cortisol production. So I've been sort of trying to stay beholden to that. So ordinarily what I'll do is I'll get up, I'll do the pet stuff, I'll do hygienic stuff. Um, and then I'll start, then I'll start working on making a coffee or I'll sit down at the desk because usually I'm already working within like 30 minutes of, of waking. But that's my whole dynamic is if it's the winter, I'm making pour over. Yes, I make pour over. Um, fellow Ode, I get the gooseneck kettle, the whole shebang, um, use the scale. And uh, in the summer, it's cold press. We make our own. If we run out, which we frequently do, then I jet over to, um, there's a couple of coffee shops in Northeast that, that I'll hit that I rely upon for really good cold press. Vivir is one of them. And the other one would be dogwood. Those are the two closest to me. And then up, like those are actually like measured by distance, you know, <laughs> sure. Vivir is closest to me. They're not open on Mondays, which I think is weird. Hey guys, that's weird. Um, and then <laughs> I, uh, the dogwood's the next step. And then up's a little further from that. I haven't gone to see them as much recently and I feel kind of bad about it, but um, so yeah, cold press, uh, not a lot of it. Again, this, this is kind of my thing now is that I, I don't drink as much coffee as I used to, not nearly. I used to drink 12 cups drip in my office uh, the first few years of opening before I started to get like crazy chest pains. <laughs> I like that like, you're hey. the only person in my life that pulled a Dave Grohl and like <laughs> thought you were dying from drip coffee consumption. Oh, it wasn't just the coffee. It was sleeping three hours a well, night and yeah. not eating and drinking lots of alcohol I would, and working 14-hour days. <laughs> <I would, laughs> if anybody doesn't know what I'm talking about, look up Fresh Pots by Dave Grohl. And I guarantee you it's also the same thing. It's the entire yeah. life along with it. But it was the fact that it was fueled by 12 cups. For sure. Dave yeah. Grohl goes hard? Oh, my God, dude. <laughs> really? Right, what? <laughs> Who? <laughs> <laughs> the it, it, the showering dynamic is interesting because I used to be a morning shower yeah. person. Uh, I'm not anymore. Now I do because of like what I do for a living and because I get started right away. It affords me some leeway throughout my day to like recuse myself and smoke a cigar on the river or uh, maybe just like find like some peace of mind if I'm not in a good space for a particular project that I'm working on. It also means I can take a fucking shower at noon if I want to. Just Either I'm in my home office or I go home like four blocks and I take a shower. I'm sure maybe this is weird for clients to hear or people who have a day job, but yeah, I can just take, yeah. a, I can just go take a shower. It takes me 15 minutes. Uh, so yeah, that's not part of my, my morning routine. So like, yeah, coffee is central to uh, my morning routine in terms of doing something to treat myself because I don't read. I don't like, I'll ask Alexa the weather or something, but beyond that um, and my wife and I, even when she's, uh, teaching she wakes up at a different time than I do and usually I like try to stay asleep because we have one restroom in our home and if I'm awake I 
need to like go to the bathroom. So I try to let, in the morning, I try to let her do her stuff first. And then I wake up the instant she leaves and I go and do my stuff. This time of year, now that she's on break, she sleeps in a little bit and I get up super early because I know I can. And then it's just like the house is available to me. Do my stuff real quick. Make some coffee, get to work. I, I love this question. And honestly, everybody listening, ask your friends, like ask everybody in your life because everyone answers this differently. Um, before I get to my answer, Charles, will you just move your microphone up a couple inches? For some reason, like if you look straight ahead, you're, we're, we're dropping a few words. Am I fading? You. There it is. Weird. That's beautiful. Yeah. Is my, anyway. Is my plug fine? Yeah. It's, it's not, it's nothing to do with that. It's literally every time I see your chin go up. Well, well, yeah, well. So now, you, now you're all getting the backstage stuff. This How is the, the crazy stuff. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, I've talked about this a number of times. I do. I, when I get up, the first thing I do is try and read something that's a little bit more long form. And uh, whatever water is left in my Yeti from the previous night, I have to drink that. I won't get out of bed until I've done that. Uh, I love her with all of my heart, but my wife will play a game in the morning called What Did I Drop Now? And uh, it's mostly on the bathroom floor, so it's very loud. And I literally play that game like, what would that have been? I wonder what that thing was. <laughs> she gets ready. Uh, <laughs> my dog is Velcro. Our dog is Velcroed to her. So our dog gives her the stink eye the entire time she gets ready. And then by the time she leaves, I'm usually done like reading something. Uh, every now and then I'll stay like kind of sleepy-ish until after she's gone and then go through that whole process. Uh, then I get up, I try to get everything ready for the day. Cause I try to treat the last two things as like, as my treat before I walk out the door. So I will then jump in the shower. I now have like, I've, I'm trying to be more cognizant cause I am very prone to take like a 15 or 20 minute shower. What do I do in there? Literally just daydream. Like I love that feeling. If there was a zombie apocalypse, I, I would say, is it a short or a long shower? That's that would be an incredibly long shower. So I put a song on now on Maybe my Bluetooth. Maybe wasteful for water, but I don't, I don't find that to be like a terribly long shower. Well, I mean, that's, I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like that's a lot of water for me to just sort of mildly enjoy myself. So mm -hmm. I, uh, I have a Bluetooth speaker in the bathroom. I will play one song and my shower has to be done before that song. I try not to make it like a two-minute punk song because that's just not enough time. But I'll do that. And then I either will brush my teeth in the shower or as soon as I get out. And then we have a, we have a Breville uh, espresso machine. And uh, going back to my wife being my coffee guru, uh, we are a part of a mail-order club from Tim Wendelboe in Oslo. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the the world traveling that those those shipments give us because it literally it's all the farms that he works with all the way around the equator. Um, I have found so much depth and breadth in coffee that I didn't, I truly didn't know existed. And I know that that's just my lack of study and, and ignorance, but it's been really fun for me to get to know it through one little cup of espresso every day. So usually that's what, what I will do. There are days where I already know ahead of time I'm going to need more than that. And so then I have my cold mm. press spots, much like you. Right. We've bonded over uh, Maeve's RIP. Uh, my favorite cup of cold press in the Twin Cities is at Code Blue off of uh, 25th and Riverside. Uh, it's in the same building as Zip's Liquor. And it is... I do not know it. It is wonderful. It is... Uh, I, I love the flavor that they get from their roasting. Uh, but I have to be super careful because it is also absolutely rocket fuel. 
And like today, I I overdid it this morning. Uncut. And I was yeah, I uh, <laughs> I poured some out and I added water to it because I, I was mm. I was on my way to like basically an anxiety yeah, attack. Yeah, used to do that to me because <laughs> obviously they're making jet fuel that they can cut with water. Yep. And she would often not give me water, thinking she was helping me, and I'd be like, "Oh my god, this is so <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna die." But that was it, that was sort of my it's my reward for myself of like going to the day. It's like okay. I love hot showers and I love coffee. So if I do everything else that I have to do, knowing that I can't get those two things until I go, then we roll. But I have started waiting until, if I'm going to do espresso, I've started waiting until after that to brush my teeth. Cause I find that even if it's long enough and even if I wash my mouth out in the shower, there's still like residual mint and or chemicals that I can't identify that affect the flavor that I'm getting and I'm trying to teach myself more about the nuances of the fruity side or the nutty side. And I, I just can't, I feel like if we're we're spending the amount of money that we are to have this shipped to our house, I should give it every single ounce of the taste buds in my mouth. Yeah. Well, especially like Tim Wendebo's stuff being Nordic, being more acidic and as espresso, like you're, you're getting the orange juice effect. In the same, same sure. kind of thing. 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, I do l- totally resonate with the zone out shower. Like, I'm like, especially weekends, I'm so guilty of that. But also, uh, be- I, because I run on the, you know, low level anxiety all the time, like, I'm always going to the phone to like input in- information. And the shower is the one place where like I am forced to just totally. not do anything else. Sure. And I've had so many the Reddit shower thoughts thing, but like this would be a great business idea. And like, it may be like for, you know, business, my dad is involved in text him like, Hey, what have you thought? Have you thought about making this application with that? And like, you thought of that in the shower? Like, yeah, just, I was, that's a good idea. Yeah. Arrived well, it's the, the you're There's right though. It's, it's the that. only <laughs> sensory deprivation that we really give ourselves away from, outside information like that's you know it it used to be taking a shit you know if but but that's gone working now in a every, field everybody <laughs> just sits yeah we're here but now you're you're constantly giving yourselves things and the shower is the one place where like if i have a new album that i want to really give honest thought to i'll start it in the shower because i can't do anything else and then that will usually pull the string hard enough that like, okay, this is what I'm going to listen to while I'm driving around for the rest of the day. I'm going to study that while I'm doing it. Or I'll put on uh, like a historical podcast. And it's like, oh, that's enough time where I don't have anything else to look at that now my brain's like, ooh, we should think about that. And then if I don't do either of those things, then that's when those thoughts come in where it's like, oh, yeah. Because I don't give myself that time any other time. It's like a little gift you give yourself. Yeah. I mean, we could all be better about that. It's interesting to think of it that way, that you don't have your Apple Watch on, you don't have your phone on you. I can yell stuff at Siri or at Alexa, but even then I'm already playing music or a podcast or something and she can't hear me. But yeah, that's maybe that's also why I don't know. Because I was thinking, how long do I take showers? I actually don't know because that's I'm not tracking time when I'm in there. I'm just taking a shower. It Literally, it wasn't until I, I noticed at one time that I completely zoned out 
And I was like so pruny. I'm like, oh my God, I must have been in here forever. <laughs> and then I looked at my clock and I had literally been in a shower for like 16 minutes and I had just completely zoned out right. and I had I had come up with this sort of how I wanted like the- too long to me. <laughs> it's, I, it's not until you think about like <laughs> yeah. how much water you're pouring out at the time myself. for 16 minutes. Yeah, but also your minutes. shower head has a lot to do with that because if you have the low flow shower head- I do not. I have okay. all of the- You literally, got the Kramer? I have, just, the Kramer? I have just shy of a fire hose. Like I literally, I bought a shower head and then I hacked it (laughs) to make sure that it was full everything coming out. Okay, so 16 minutes is too long if you're getting- Way too long. If you're getting fire hosed. Yeah, I'm getting fire hosed, which is why (laughs) once I did that, then I flipped it to the the song. So I'll look for something in like the three and a half to four and a half minute category. I can get all of my business done. Everything's washed. Everything's scrubbed. Everything's soaped. And then that's once the song is ending, it's like, okay, (laughs) rinse off to the 360 one time. And then as I'm getting out of the shower, it's moving on to the next song. It's honestly, it's, I mean, especially for an idiot like me who DJed for as long as I did, it's all about when, when is the song ending and what do we need to, to queue up next? It's, it's just, that's the transition. Transitions. Yeah. All right. Well, shit. To transitions. Cheers to that. (laughs) But not the glasses because you have to be like a shower transitions. Charles, All right, that's me. Good call on the Mictors, by the way. This is fantastic. I that haven't had this stuff. bottle in almost two years, and I forget how much I love this. Yeah, I usually have the, whatever the overproof version is, it's the single barrel. I, I don't know which one it is, but yeah, this is this is good stuff. Easy drinking. All right, Tony, we're all quite good at our chosen vocations, if I do say so myself. So tell me, what do you think you'd be doing if you weren't doing what you currently do for a living? Um, coffee was, I mean... Coffee was a side hustle to my side hustle, mm. kind of. I mean, I I have a degree in Bible, and I graduated in 2007. So there's very few things that you can do with that in a massive recession. <laughs> can, oh, I'm sorry, real quick. Can I just add, like, is the degree actually, like, does it say in Bible? Yeah, and my, my emphasis was Bible. So at a school where you effectively got a second major in Bible, whatever you like, I, I it was Bible deep. Sure, I'm sorry. I'm just I'm no, a nut. I'm a nut about religion. So, was it was there a specific edition of the Bible, or is it in the breadth of all printed versions of the Bible? Um, I mean, it was a conservative Christian. It's Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, so like right angle between the John Hancock and the Sears Tower. Yeah. Um, but they like his historic. I mean, the found the guy it's named after Dio Moody who founded it just this fascinating person and like literally his legacy split into two between like fundamental fundamentalist split from him and then a split that's um, social justice driven and really like fascinating history. But um, the school is fundamentalist conservative. I mean, if I, if I would have drank on the summer and been found out, I would have been kicked out. Wow. Yeah. So my first drink was not until after I graduated college. My wife, my now wife, couple days after I graduated, we went out to dinner and I, um, one of the, uh, one of the Greek restaurants out in Greek town and I got a glass of wine and I like Merlot. Cause that's what's you fancy. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> and the thing uh, I've heard in a movie. Yeah. And I mean, I began exploring from there, but sure. like, it was also cool to be 22 when I started drinking because I went into it with a, a craft appreciation. Um, I mean, 
also I had no money. So it was a, a mixed level of that, but it was <laughs> like starting off with Goose Island flights. Yeah. And, um, you know, when we had the money getting Robert the Bruce and like a cigar, uh, smoking, a smoking a pipe, reading CS Lewis and drinking a Robert the Bruce, was not a bad night. <laughs> Probably also avoided a bunch of hormone-fueled bad decisions yeah. in your late teens. Yeah. Uh, I, I guarantee you there are a few professors along my way in college that would have said that would have been a great route for me. Um, so um, I was in that time at, at that school. I got back into visual art. I kind of left it for music and then got back into visual art there. Um predominantly photography and graphic design. So I was trying to start a photography and graphic design business and realized that I wasn't a good business person and I wasn't good at saying no. Mm. So I, you know, come home from my barista job, sit down on my computer, edit someone's wedding photos, and then would get the, oh, can you do one more revision on this logo? Can you do one more revision on this logo? And I'm up to eight revisions. Like contract says three, but... I can't afford to lose this client, right. that kind of stuff. So I just for got to a point where I was saying no to pursuing coffee opportunities because I had clients. And I was just like, I'm going to take a break from this for a bit. Yeah. Um, and then after I moved here, you know, I, I dabbled in it while I was there and I did stuff for the companies I was with and stuff like that. But then here, there wasn't really room for me to do any graphic design at Spy House. So that like, you know, I made... I updated our label files and stuff because I had the software and I knew what I was doing, but there wasn't room. Um, but that was one of the funnest, most fun things about the early stages of starting this company. These companies is I did all the graphic design myself. I did the branding and like being that kid who was in basement pop punk bands and stuff in the mid two thousands, like stickers and pins like i you know i everything I, I didn't understand myself as anyone does at that age and like i would spend so, so much time in class drawing merch and logos like i had this ska band i wanted to create and it's like oh it'd be really cool to get those jazz banisters and i had them all drawn we didn't even have a lineup or That's a practice so so but great. like that yep. it was like oh maybe i should be a graphic designer but that wasn't like a thing you could be yeah um so when i got those first boxes of pins and stickers i was so it was like teenage me would be so yeah. stoked right now <laughs> um and like so i it would it would probably be but i've also learned since as i've done a couple um logo uh design stuff for some people since i like doing stuff for myself i don't i don't like doing it for for customers hats off to you uh <laughs> for that but um probably be something in in that realm that's awesome. I, uh, I mean, honestly, for me, it as much as it would have been tough to bend it back, uh, there is a there is a branch on my tree that I should have I should have just kept going with my politics career. Like, had a job at the Capitol, had ins, know how to talk to everybody. Had very fortunately had a mother who continued her career working with politicians up until last year when she retired, mm -hmm. uh, I should have gone to law school in another world and I should have, I would have ended up running somebody's campaign and been a, been a speechwriter. That's every time I watch somebody give a speech, uh, like I said, I'm a politics junkie. I watch all the debates. I watched all that. And as much as it's masochism, 
it's also really frustrating to see how talentless some of these people's speechwriters are and that like even people that I don't necessarily agree with all their views I'm like this could have been so much better but it's it's people desiring so bad to get a one-line quip that gets put in a headline versus giving people a resounding speech and I understand that that's the demographic that they're weighing out and that it's really fun to get that bump on Twitter with like the the bot but if you look back once you're even three months out when you look back it's the people that give rousing speeches that everybody remembers and they go for and there's still a piece of me that wonders if there's a way that I could do that as like a side hustle for like local candidates. But I think about that career more than any of my other almost dids. Like I really loved the comedy writing thing. I I would love to do that, but I, I don't have the same affinity looking back on it as I do for writing like political stuff. Because I think that as much as I love making people laugh, I think if you can make people feel something and want to be involved in a world that tells you at every single turn, don't be involved, go away. We'll just tell you what to do. I really, I have a tough, I still wrestle with it, I guess I would say. And I know that, (laughs) I know that, that law school and the rigors of that would have been tough, especially at that age with my anti-authoritarian, yeah, authoritarian move. But, uh, the meanest and the greatest thing that an ex-girlfriend ever said was, it's a pity that you never went to law school because you can be so mean with your words. And I was like, well, shit, I probably could have used that for good. Like, there's, there's like a, okay, that ah, that, that cuts deep. But uh, I could have I also maybe used that for good. And I, there's a little piece of me that always thinks that. Every political cycle, everything that comes out, I read the literature, I listen to people talk. I never would have been the candidate but I think I really could have run a good campaign and somewhere down the road, there may be a chance that I end up doing something like that. Yeah. Again. Well, it's interesting because we've, we've sort of traveled down two different paths here because Tony has said that that's something he may be doing alternatively, but he discovered is not actually for him. So he ended up on the right path, which is not to say that you're not on the right path, but it sounds like something you still have an interest in that you could actually pursue. You could you could find like a someone that's vying for a school board yep. and write a mission statement for them on, on their website. That's a good place to start, and then you can see where it takes you. And yeah, that would be a limited use of resources. Really, that's the problem: is that I have a limited amount of resources right now, and I know, I know how obsessive I get when I get into something that I really, really like, and I've gone down that road before, and I don't. I don't want to be that person to my partner at this stage of our life. So you don't think it's something you would pursue in earnest? Some, some someday, point? if if my situation okay. changes yeah. and the the needs that my current job maybe lessen, then yeah, that's a that's one hundred percent a possibility. But being in sales, I'm already giving so much of. I hate to, oh God, I fucking hate to say it like this, but like so much of my creative content, like trying to make sure that I can find a way to identify with people that are very much like me and people that are very much not like me. I have to find that middle road to not only convince them that this is a product that they need, but then also to think about me as more than just a random salesperson. Like I'm all about building those relationships and a lot of that energy gets focused on that. And then because of that, there's a lot of things that happen after what would be like a quote unquote normal workday. And if I started getting 
into politics. Now we're now we're way down the road because I also don't have the ability, like you said, to say no. I don't have the ability to disengage once I've started it because if it's a project that I write, I will keep going with it until I think it's perfect, which won't happen, or until somebody pulls it away from me. And uh, were were I single, living in a one bedroom apartment in a basement somewhere, yeah, maybe. But for me to also be good to my wife and my family and the people that I love, like that's, it's too much of an ask right now. But that one, that one stays simmering. I think okay. it's okay. I, I think though that what you're doing with this podcast and what you're doing as, as a person who's out in our community, you are changing people's minds. That's and like you, you've been building this platform and, you have episodes I've listened to that have like made me stop and think. And I mean, the standout is Yia's episode and that, you know, that is what that is. But I literally just got chills <laughs> even hearing you say that. Cause that was, that was a powerful one for I think all of us. I, I, you are a communicator and that comes through in just how you ask questions, how you think about stuff and how you like, you don't know where this is going to go. Yeah. And I, I think you are doing, you know, you're not shaping that for somebody else and helping them move their agenda or thought view, but you're, this is a food and beverage podcast, but it, we've barely talked about food and beverage that's the, so those far. Those are just the tent poles. Those are just, <laughs> I, that's, I, that's, I, that's I, where I, we're, that's where we're wedged by the, um, the, the, the podcast platforms, food specifically. But it's amazing because food does that. Yeah. Like very much that's, so. That's, in, I mean, the Anthony Bourdain's that have opened so many people's eyes to so many things and where all that is spun off to now of like, I grew up in a, in a one stoplight town where there were no people of color and the only people of color were the people that owned the Chinese restaurant. And I'm excited that my kid lives in a city where there's so many different nationalities represented because you can't learn to respect somebody if the only role they have is serving you. That's right. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Look at our table. We have beverages uh, across the table and that's what brings people to our yeah. table. So it starts with the beverage and then food and beverage are intrinsically connected. And then uh, you, as you can, as you can surmise, we go in every imaginable direction <laughs> from there. So if we categorize ourselves in other categories, we may not, might not perform quite as well. It's the food and beverage that are our linchpins, but that's a, uh, yeah, that's, that's how you bring people to the table. Also, uh, Tony, I'm, I'm really, I'm really bad at like, um, taking things like that. I just like, that means a lot that you said that that's, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's the truth. That's why you're here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, this is, so this is a fun daydreaming question and I'm a hat on a hat kind of person. That's something that, uh, Jim Cornette famously says. I really putting, want to see you wearing two hats putting, sometimes. Putting a, putting a hat on a hat. Yeah. I just, uh, I don't have an off switch and, uh, I need to be better. And so this is a thing that I'm like working on in therapy. I need to be better on at not taking on too many responsibilities. But when I think of something like this, I don't think of like what I could be doing. I think of what else I could be doing. It's not an alternative. Right. It's, like I'm always thinking of like what what else do I want to add to my um, Batman tool belt, right? Alfred, what do we got, motherfucker? I need something new. Give me those batarangs or whatever. Mm -hmm. So for me, like it's interesting because 
when I look at what I do for a living, like my primary vocation, my business, Patmos, and, and my role as a creative director, um, I absolutely love what I do. And uh, I think I excel at it. And I think a lot of people think I excel at it. Um, but I don't necessarily think that um, this was my calling in life. Not that I believe in such a thing, but I don't necessarily think that the road ends with the success that I've discovered with my creative services business. I, I don't think that that's what um, I am. And, it, and it's a, an onus I place on myself. I don't think it's what I meant to do forever. Doesn't mean that I won't do it in perpetuity, but it means there are other things that I am seeking to accomplish. It probably comes as a surprise to nobody the things that I want to do in food, primarily in food products that like are dreams of mine. Um, I've been, I've had so many things that I've wanted to do in the business consumer realm. I've done all business to business and I have so many things that I've been working on in the background forever that I haven't executed upon, but there's things with food that I want to do. And um, I've been a writer for many years and I've actually written uh, two novels <laughs> that are just nested away. Um, one of which I, um, I complete. So the last one I completed for everyone listening, I have a, what the fuck face on just in case any of you also have the same face on. Yeah. Uh, the, so I, I've written two, one is called wither and one's called the invisible fire. The last one I completed probably like 12 years ago Wither was the first one I wrote and it's a sort of science, science fiction fantasy thing. And I just recently committed to, um, pulling it up and essentially, pulling it up and pulling it apart and rewriting it. Like I've, I've committed, I told my wife about it. Hey, here's another unnecessary responsibility I'm placing on my own shoulders, but I want to dig back into this narrative and, and see if I can maybe get it published someday. And I don't know how far in the future, but it's something that I want to start doing again. So I guess that would be my thing. And that like, and again, I can't, I can't say any one thing, but there's a lot of things that I feel like I could be doing and that I may do someday. And uh, I guess that would be the um, vocation du jour. <laughs> like, I, I want to write again, but I want to write creatively, which I, I do every day in my job, but I want to write creatively like as a novelist. I, I understand that feeling of the creative with the ideas. Like I used to have the joke business ideas or the... Mm this would be a really good idea, business yeah. idea for somebody. I have no desire to pursue this, but yeah, sure. this is a product somebody that somebody should, should make. Yeah. And I would like throw the boy. And some of them were just pun based. Like, um, <laughs> Oh my God, this happened last weekend. Uh, yeah. I, I, I just, <laughs> I had a great tacos and tequila pun based okay. restaurant. That'd be like, do you remember it? Um, poor P O O R K K A Y S. Um, Tacos and tequila, why not both? <laughs> Poor K, no los dos. And it's just like the t-shirt. I just want the t-shirt yep, for that just place. You could, you could never make yeah. it. You could never do that. <laughs> but like it's, I just want to see that be a place like in Key West that has a t-shirt that's very like wrong, but funny. Um, so someone's got to do it. And I've drawn up the it. logo for it because yeah. that's a funny yeah. t-shirt. Yeah. Um, but like other ideas... And just like, I mean, even in my own business, like I just want to do this thing, but right now it's just me and I can't cause I'm barely, and I'm, I'm in the process of hiring somebody to give me that space to do that. But I understand that I'm just like, this is a, this is a great idea or this is something I want to do. And I 
can't because there's so many pieces and um it's just you know being a being creative like it's fun when it's fun but it's not fun when it's not fun and just always taking on Absolutely. and always taking on and um that level of perfection that you speak to of just like i mean i remember when i was predominantly a graphic designer zooming into 1600 times with these two things perfectly line up pixel yep. to pixel that no one will ever tell in the print but i'll know yes. it's not there absolutely in the same way yeah. i've i've wrestled with punctuation on a sentence for like hours where i've changed it and i'll like i will look if if thank god i was living by myself at the time but like if anybody could see in i'm saying the same sentence over and over 50 times and i'm changing it from a period to a semicolon to Person an exclamation point shaped feet. yes yes i mean it's basically <laughs> that only it's just that line like that's hilarious in an outtake but if will ferrell says that 50 times in a row with different inflections you start to worry is he having a stroke and that's like that's the minutia that I also the words don't mean anything caught anymore. up on. And if I had gotten, if I really delved back into the writing thing, I uh, I'm friends with a producer who has made a bunch of movies, and I'm very very proud of him. And he gave me some shit because I gave him a script treatment, and he's like, I never got the full script. And I was like, Yeah, because I wrestled myself into uh, a stalemate, and I never mm -hmm. went anywhere with it. And he's like, It's because you don't have an editor. It's because you're trying to edit your own shit, like find an editor, find somebody and send it to them and then go back to that. Maybe, maybe Charles, that's what I have to do is just like challenge myself to have somebody else do it because I can't, Let's I would be the writing challenge. I would be <laughs> like in my head, like the great artist who could never put out an album because I spent too long in the studio rewriting a single guitar line until I went absolutely insane. It's why sitcoms have writer rooms. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> 100%. Like the best shit that I've ever done was when I had a writing partner and we would kick shit out together or yeah. when I worked with a director and we wrote the whole thing together. I just need somebody else to be like, stop the right number of cooks in the kitchen is two <laughs> exactly one you have no one to edit you and any more than two becomes too many cooks in the kitchen yep. uh by a modicum of like 100 every person you add i could if, you, if i present a design to a boardroom if i had present a design to 13 people mm. by the end of editing it it becomes literally nothing because no you're never going to find 13 people that agree on something so it becomes nothing but if you are left to self edit, you have to be an absolute fucking master because you need, Correct. There, there has to be someone else in the room. So two is the perfect number. Yep. But then that's also how people get to hate each other because they're like so committed to an idea. They don't want the other person to deny them. Mm -hmm. And so when the other person denies them, they're like, why would you do this? To me? Well, and then you also have to have <laughs> one contrarian in the room who's just yeah. like, if everybody likes this, I will come up with something different because then I will look like the smart one in the room because I got to add something. And oh, in a room full of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. There's always so many things. Every idea is horseshit because they would have had a better idea. Yeah. yeah. Even though I didn't have an idea. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I feel like, yeah, I need to pour myself some boots. I'm, yeah. I'm popping this sour mash. I'm going to do one more of these ryes. I'm going to go back to that rye because I never noticed how great the malt profile on this one is. I was okay. It's, I'm really glad you just brought that up because I was thinking that too. Cause, and maybe this is again, it's been a little while since I've had Michter's, but I remembered mm. more black pepper and less on that oh. beautiful mellow, but that's where you said yeah. it's, it's so easy drinking 100%. I mean, I tend to gravitate towards high proof, high rye bourbons. You know, I want the orange, I want yes. the spice. I've, 
even when I like started drinking whiskey, I I went to straight whiskey pretty quick as like a sippable. Just like I don't, I'm not one who feels the burn easy, and I I want to feel the burn. So I I tend to go a little bit higher proof. But this one has that sweetness, but enough body, and it's just like caramel and beautiful. Like you don't go to a rye for the malt profile, Mm-mm. but. It makes such a beautiful, like smooth, almost rum-like. Yeah. Mm, right. Yeah. This is balanced to sip, and uh, I used to, I used to uh, look down my nose at rise of this strength. I think it's like an eighty-four point four something, something in that range. Um, and this small batch sour mash is in that range as well. What is this? Uh, eighty-six. That's an eighty-six proof. But I started to get acid reflux from really high proof bourbon specifically like those that would be like the one thing on planet earth that would cause me heartburn and so i started to explore more with um diluting and using a cube and then also getting things um like this that were like essentially ready to drink in effect that's like a whiskey water in the bottle it's how a lot of my friends who are really into whiskeys would look at something like this but I learned to appreciate it and to, to appreciate dilution and like mm-hmm. what changes in a spirit. And so for something like this, because it's not that like octane, high octane, um, peppery, fiery rye, you do, I think, find some of those characteristics that you may not mm-hmm. find in a Michter's rye that would be in excess of 100 proof. And it's sitting on a lot of sugar too. Yep. Like it, it's, it's wheat, but it's, it's thick sweet. This is great. And also, thank you, Tony, for asking for this, because I realized when Charles texted me that, that my bar cart is also spectacularly devoid of rise right now, and need to fix that, because there's a bunch of cocktails that I just enjoy more with rye. For sure. But. Yeah, I don't have much. I have one of the, I have one of the overproof Michter's rise, and that's, I think, the only, um, in my kitchen bar cart, I think my actual bar cart, I have some, like valuable stuff sure uh yeah i i don't care and you don't find a lot in stores when i went that shop today they had three fucking bottles of rye it's not as easy to come by well cheers to that i think uh i think this is a you go back to back and then i go back 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 for me all right uh where we at okay tony let's talk about uppers and downers so you were kind enough to offer drugs sorry some oh shit (laughs) kind of allegedly allegedly uh, you were kind enough to offer us some powerful cold press that you formulate specifically for use in cocktails, yes. which got me to thinking, what is a favorite coffee cocktail of yours? I don't really drink coffee cocktails. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, like I said before, I, you know, I like my, I like my beer. I like my coffee. I like them separate unless it's really good. Uh, I, when it comes to, Cold coffee, whether it's cold press or flash chilled or whatever it is. I'm, for being cliche, lack of a better term, I'm the old man. Like, I just, I drink hot black coffee. That's what I drink. Like, even, I'll get espresso if I'm going to a cafe that I work with because I just don't get espresso unless I'm out at a cafe. Um, But I'm, like... When I really want to evaluate someone's product, it's coffee. Like, I give me a hot black coffee. So, I don't really drink coffee cocktails, but when Nick um, from uh, Drink Spot the Carry, Mr. Paul's, um, all of his other 
mm-hmm. projects that Nick Kosovich yep. is involved in. Um, Future guest of the podcast, actually, confirmed this week. Yep. Ooh, that'll be a good one. Um, would he ask me to make him a cold press uh, specifically for the Irish coffee, Mr. Paul's? I, I came at it of like, how do I make a cold press for this? Because the coffee never is a standout in any of these. It's usually really, it's whatever coffee the be- the bar has. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it was really fun in that, that sense of just like, how do I make this to like bring the best coffee flavor and be useful in this context? And so that, actually that Irish coffee at Mr. Paul's is probably my favorite because mm. I ordered it last time. Because the first time I had it, it wasn't with my coffee. And I ordered it last time I was there with my uh, with my wife to celebrate an anniversary. And like, I finished the meal with it. I'm like, this is... Like, I, I bought it because I need the picture for Instagram. But this is good. <laughs> like, th- I okay. like this. Right. Um, otherwise, um, I, also, I also do the coffee for Italian eatery. And at Undito, um, they have a featured amaro of the month i don't really remember exactly how it all works but going and getting an espresso and an amaro and not doing a corretto just espresso and amaro i mean i i had when i took second u.s roasters i wasn't you know in that shitty mood of taking second place didn't want to go you know didn't was like ranting about like all the things that because whenever you're at an expo for your industry the last day so many people have annoyed you. So, and I was just in that mood. And like, we need to go. We need to go get dinner. We went up the street to Sick and Spruce, but it was the end of the coffee show at the convention center across the street. So it was swamped. We got a spot at the bar and I got a, pl- a plate of salami, a bottle of Rainier. Rainier should be from a can, but I got a bottle of Rainier mm. and whatever the bitter that was paired with it. And it was like, that fixed me. Yes. And then we went to Rumba a couple of blocks up and had a whole experience with the bartender there that was just like so fun. Sunday night, dead rum bar, just wanting to begin to get into rum, custom flights, and then, oh, try this, try that, one of those nights. And then we went to the Barista Guild party. And my mood was in a better <laughs> mood after all of that. But um, Everything changed. Amaro's got that amazing power with, with like just a simple product in an Amaro, just like punch me around. Absolutely. Fix me up. It's a, it's a instant mood changer. Uh, first of all, shout out to Vanessa Carrera. I love you very much. Second of all, uh, Eric, you will never be Eric. You will always be Mario or Miami. Uh, and third of all, I didn't know that that was your coffee in the, the slush in the, the frozen coffee at Mr. Paul's. And I, have you ever been to Aaron Rose in New Orleans? I've not. So, New Orleans is on it's on the list. I just have to tell you that you gave me one of my fondest memories back. Uh, I love the frozen coffee there. And that is that drink is a tribute to the Aaron Rose in New Orleans. And the first time that I had it, I will admit, it was like I was like, oh, this is like solid, but you know, like it's a coffee slushy. Uh, I just got to have it last week. And it is that drink. It is exactly what I loved about that. And I surprised my wife with a trip there. Uh, a very, very good friend and a former mentor moved down there to open a bar called Latitude 29. 
and uh, getting to go down there and visit him and get introduced to his entire world of tiki drinks was amazing. And the only thing that he told me was that you have to go to Aaron Rose and get this frozen coffee. So when we took my wife there for her birthday, uh, that was a thing that we had to do every morning. And I think so fondly of that memory. And I got to have it in a glass on 50th and France, uh, five miles down the highway from where I live. And so I just personally just want to say thank you for that. Uh, I got to, I got to have, uh, like a touchstone to something that means a lot to me. So first of all, cheers. I mean, that's Nick and Ainsley's work down there, but well, listen, I if I, I have my shirt on, so I can't say thank you to Ainsley, but, but Nick, I'll give him props to you. <laughs> I'm only allowed to talk to Ainsley if we're so not in the same Ainsley room I'm only allowed to talk to Ainsley if I have my shirt off it's a long story and <laughs> okay. sorry listeners you don't get to hear that one sounds about right <laughs> uh, for me I do I do love coffee and things because I don't like sweet things I about the sweetest that I will go for is literally like a brown sugary bourbon that's it. I trend more towards dry things, tart things, sour things, bitter things. And so the astringency of concentrated coffee, I love to use as a way of giving like roasty depth to things and also to dry out some of the sugars. So at home, I love to pour a little bit of espresso because as you said, it is on like, there's a fruity side to it, but it's also a little acidic. I love to do um, a little bit of espresso, a bourbon, and depending on the bourbon, maybe a splash of uh, simple syrup. And then I'll do Dash Fire's uh, Hochtil, uh, like chocolate bitters, and a little bit of uh, Fee Brothers Black Walnut bitters. And it's like a, like a roast old-fashioned or like a, a deep old-fashioned. It hits all the same notes from an old-fashioned for me. The fruity orange and cherry is supplied by the espresso, having those fruit notes to it. But then that bitterness, to me, like dries it out. And I just think it's a spectacular cocktail. Mm. Um, Interesting. I, I uh, love like, doing like that. the sound of it. Yeah. And then you have the, the chocolate bitters, like... For anybody that hasn't had them, don't think that it's like hot cocoa in bitter form. Like it is the cacao bean. So obviously that mimics a lot of the same flavors that you're going to get in, in the coffee. And then that black walnut, it gives it like a nutty depth, but it doesn't really affect much more of the flavor than that. And that with the rest of the things in there, it hides so incredibly well so that it just like pokes out through the other notes that you're already getting because the other notes in the, in the cocktail are much stronger. And then as it dilutes, it'll get a little bit lighter and then more of the nuttiness will come off on the aroma. But I, I love making that at home. It's something that we already have all the ingredients at our house almost all the time. Yeah. Do you build this on a cube? Yeah, just on a, on a, mm. a one giant cube. We have- Any um, garnish? No. I, I mean, I'm sure I could come up like, you know, we could even sprinkle a couple of beans in there um, and let some of the oil on the outside of the bean might give it a little more viscosity. But- outside of maybe doing like a, a lemon peel, simply thinking about like an espresso service, I don't know what I would garnish that with that I think mm. would add to it. Uh, and at home, I'm not trying to impress anybody. I guess even a cherry, you know, like a, a, a brandy sure. cherry might, might add a little orange. bit more fruitiness to it, yeah, but I don't, orange, but, you know. I also don't want that. Like I, it's, yeah. 
it's already kind of exactly I've never what had this. I, I like just, it. I'm just imagining. Well, it, someday if you ever come over to my house and we have a cigar, I will gladly make one for you. And Tony, the invite's always on the that's table. That's a cigar drink. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's a morning cigar drink. Dare I say? But I mean, I glad <laughs> any weekend I would have that before noon any day. Uppers and downers. See, yeah, there you go. <laughs> and then throw nicotine into the mix. See what happens. Yeah, and go to a meeting. Go. Good luck. <laughs> I believe in you. You're gonna win that sale, or you're gonna lose that sale. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <Listen>. right. <laughs> Either way, we maybe tried. both. Somehow you're like, how did I? I sold something I wasn't supposed to sell. <laughs> I sold it a bunch of different bitters to people. I don't know where that came from. Hey, I mean, have you seen the Churchill Day? That guy ran a war with that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Champagne in the morning, brandy at lunch. Like, yeah, let's do it. It was was it ten cigars, mm-hmm. over two bottles of champagne, seven whiskey sodas, and three cognacs. Yep, it was. Uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a nice Tuesday. It's a nice Tuesday. Every day. Had to finish a <laughs> bottle of cognac every day. That had to that had to be finished whether it was for other people Just or if he was the one it. taking it down. Always laying in a goddamn bathtub. All right. Uh well I've frequently mentioned this particular well, many of the beverages that I make at the Negroni party, but one of them was uh Pons. I know you like Pons, Tony. Kofi Kingston. The Kofi Kingston was, I think, uh, year three of the Negroni party. So for um, those who are not aware, if you make a Negroni with rum, it's called a Kingston. And uh, there's a pro wrestler named Kofi Kingston that I absolutely adore. He's a part of the New Day. And I wanted to make, like, it. it this was almost like the perfect uh, confluence. I wanted to make a coffee Kingston. And I was like, shit, Kofi Kingston. All right, one of my favorite wrestlers. So I made a fresh batch of cold press. I made a um, Negroni with uh, Jamaican rum, uh, Antica, Campari, and then um, just zested or peeled a bunch of oranges. And um, I added cold press to that Kingston, and it worked beautifully. If you are motivated to do so perhaps making this beverage for a crowd of less than 50 people which i was making the cocktail for at that time i wanted to make um agar agar cold press um, pearls yeah i wanted that to be an element in the beverage Uh, i didn't get that far i was like holy shit i'd be sitting here all day making these pearls and then have to trust people to like spoon them out without breaking them and like a a negroni orbits big time yeah or uh (laughs) Or I, uh, I'm, I'm, so, I'm sorry if, if anybody is, is under the age of like 38. I don't yeah. know if you understood that. Then reference. it's bubble tea. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, then there it's you go. Bubble tea. Yeah, bubble tea. <laughs> yeah. We used to go to Green Bay and we would stop at the mm. cheese shop, um, the Sargento cheese shop on the way, and you could pick out something. I either got a chocolate soda or an Orbitz every time. Mm-hmm. Every time, dude, how could you not? Yeah, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> So, yeah, you can imagine what it tastes like, yeah. you know, nice Jamaican rum. Uh, obviously, the, the qualities in that will vary as well. And this is also partly motivated by our last episode when we were drinking lots of high-quality rums. So that'll take you in different directions so you can curate that to your own taste. And then, obviously, the Antica and the, the Campari, some bitterness, a little bit of sweetness. Uh, and then getting the zest from the orange and then using the cold press. And also, the, that dynamic can change depending on how you like your cold press. I like a smoky bitter cold press and I feel like that plays well with what I'm looking for in a cocktail. 
uh, and it subdues the sweetness along with the, the bitterness in the Campari. And then you get the, you express the oil out of your, your orange, um, which adds that little bit of citrus element. Did you flame it at all? No. Okay. No, I'm not going to do that for 50 people, especially, I mean. Oh yeah, you're right. Sorry. I, I, especially because I don't, I actually usually do not do that, but, um, in that instance where I, you've seen how I do it. I lay out the yeah. elements and then I let people make it for themselves. And in a situation like that where it's pre-batched, it's in a giant container, pouring for themselves. And yeah. just, they're Sorry, really I wasn't, and you're already high bitter anyways. Yeah. So you want that mm. acid to cut. Yes. Yeah, I was just I'll wondering. Just that little touch of citrus, like the perfumey nature, yeah. the floral quality of the, the actual um, skin. I was just thinking about the, the flavor of burnt orange, how much actually oh, yeah. I would like that. And mm-hmm. so I forgot that you were batching that. That's There's, my fault. There's plenty you can play with. And, that, you know, we even talked about this when we talked about my pineapple old pal, the upside down cake situation that was with, that was made with rye whiskey, but we were reformulating to potentially use, to turn it into a Kingston where it would be a old Kingston, I guess, because we could do it with rum and then using sherry as an element in it. There's so many directions you can go. And that's the beautiful thing about the Negroni. So it's got such like flexibility. Well, and even thinking about like now having you, like explain that even mm-hmm. thinking about the the old fashioned that I just described, like now I want to go home and try that with rum, because holy shit, like sure. with like a, a darker yeah. Jamaican rum, like right. I bet that would be spectacular, because it's got a little bit more bricks content to hold up to it. It's got a little bit more fruit funk to it, so it could be it could be great. It could be terrible, but it could be great too. Could change what kind of well. espresso you use as well mm-hmm. in that instance. Well, I, I just gotta wait for the next bag to show up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I. One of my favorite things to do is, like, I'm, if I'm making an old-fashioned, I'm I'm orange peel in the drink. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the, that's not right. I want it to evolve. I want the bitter to yeah. be there. Like, it's I'm it's not just there for aroma. It's I am contributing flavor. But then take pouring a little bit back over that orange peel because now it's saturated with alcohol and it just releases all that orange and you get that last mm. bit of, especially with the rye whiskey, you could just a bombardment of for like that last bit at the end of the night of orange, super heavy bourbon and Negronis are such a fun drink because I I'm happy that we're finally reaching the point where everyone can talk about that. A Negroni doesn't have to be one, one, one. They're like, Oh, well if it's this, it's that like, um, someone turned me on to like someone completely reshaped my mind about Negronis um, when he said, do a two part gin one, one, mm. and it's going to taste like a Swedish fish. And it does. Yep. It tastes like a Swedish fish. Mm. And if I'm drinking a Negroni, I, I don't want the punch in the face. I, a little bit, a little bit want the candy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, like if you actually, if you have a, like a legitimate Swedish fish too, it's using lingonberry as as the the fruit in it which has a higher acidic content which actually mimics that flavor incredibly well because it has a little bit of that uh like sort of campari side to it it has a little bit of the bitter baked into it so if you literally have like a real candy the og candy that it's based on it really does mimic that incredibly well and it's almost the same color so now i want let's just make those we might have to add some kind of swedish fish Folks, we're going to pause the podcast. We're going to get Swedish fish ingredients. Oh, believe me, I have have a whole document of Negronis. 
because of the, the groaning party. Yeah, how does one get an invite to this party? <laughs> oh, dude, you're you my neighbor. Come. You're coming. You have to come. It's, it's This was supposed to happen like three weeks ago, but Marnie had some, thing, some prior engagement, so we actually haven't even done it yet. I would like to do it in August, so soon, hopefully. Yep. Yeah. It is, uh, it is, I'm two years into being invited to said party, I believe, and it is uh, one of my favorite uh, gatherings of the year. I didn't mean to self-invite, but it no way. sounds Fuck fascinating. That. Come on. <laughs> I uh, I love socializing, so it's I, I'm all about people inviting themselves to things and also inviting me to things. Tyson, so Tyson's been inviting me over a lot to his place, and I've just been really busy. And I actually, oh, uh, Tyson from, from Scalvin. Get in oh, there. Yeah, Get in there. Oh, so yeah, good. that sound. <laughs> Unmistakable. But so Tyson, a few days ago, invited me to come drink with him on his rooftop, and I had to decline because I had something else going on. And then he was like, he's like, hey, come on over or tell me to fuck off. And I was like, yeah, you're going to have to fuck off. I got to hang. I got this other thing I got to do. And then I, I, went out, I went out of my way to like let him know, hey, keep inviting me to stuff because I'm the, I'm the fun maker in my friend group. So I don't get asked to do stuff as frequently as I ask people to do stuff. So don't stop asking me to do stuff. I really appreciate it. We will do stuff. And he was like, thank you for saying that. It's good to... To, to to let me know that I should continue to badger you. I'm like, absolutely. Anytime. I'm like, tell me to come drink on your rooftop. 3 a.m., whatever. Maybe I'll have a wild hair and jump in the Jeep. All right, come, I'll come over and have a beverage with you. But don't stop inviting me. I, uh, I was given one of the best compliments that I've been given uh, at the end of the month last year, and it was that I'm the MSG to the group, where some people aren't going to like it, but everybody that gets it is going to fucking love it. So we're going to keep bringing you to stuff because MSG makes everything better. And yeah. I was like, all right, done. It's in my martinis now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I made dirty martinis with MSG and holy fuck, did that change oh, my world. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. It's so good. Yes. Yeah, Apologies to my brother, Tony. I love you so much. But uh, I, my, MSG is a legitimate it's, migraine trigger for him. So I can't. Sure, sure. He'll never be able to understand how much I love it, but he also is very much like my reaction to it shouldn't control how you consume things. I love doing a martini with a lemon twist with chips and dip. Sure. Yep. If the, chips, martini, if the chips it? and dip come out on a, on a weeknight... I'm, make a martini. Right, I'm making a Vesper. A, what's what's okay, the dip? I was going to say, is it a full-blown Vesper? First of it? all, love the Vesper. Second of all, what's the what's the dip? Um, it's chips and dip. Well, onion dip. Okay. Okay. If, onion, if French theater, onion dip's coming dip. out, okay. yep. salty, fatty, with oh. a Vesper. So that's that's top the tater to my wife. That's like uh, Ruffles or uh, the old Dutch yep. ridged old Dutch. potato chips. Oh, man. With top the tater. Yeah, the Ruffle chips are banging. For me... Chips and dip is like some some sort of tortilla chips and a queso dip and soaking that one. Oh yeah, the, you one, get the, the floppy one, chip, <laughs> the one doing the doing the hot tub on the edge. <laughs> floppy chip, Jenny. You, you know it's got its arms spread <laughs> out. It's in the corner. I can't Jenny, I hope, just call I, this episode I the hope you're chip. listening to this. My wife is obsessed. Yeah. So the, the very first time that her and I went to a movie, yeah, she I does was, this with nacho cheese. I was never. I was. I did not know that this was a thing. So we went to a movie, and I got popcorn and Junior Mints because it's the greatest combo in the history of flavors. And my wife, this is not <laughs> arguable, and my wife uh, got the, the plastic tray of nachos with the, the corner cup of cheese. And she put a chip 
in the back of the cheese and then was just dipping and going. And I'm like, well, there's already a chip in there. And I went to grab it and she slapped my Ooh. hand. <laughs> and this is like, this is again, the first movie we've ever been to. Back off. And I was like, what the fuck? And she goes, that's the floppy chip. And I'm like, I don't, wait, what? She goes, no. There's other chips. And I'm like, okay, I guess That's I'll do that. She went on another date with you? <laughs> yes. And she explained on the way home, that that's her favorite <laughs> chip, and that's that's the one. It's like the closest I can get to. That's like the flipping the one cigarette in the pack upside down, and that's the one that's that's the lucky that's for you. That reminds you that you can't give another one away because you're out of cigarettes. Uh, apologies to everybody who uh, ever smoked. It's terrible, um, but I did, and uh, that was like, oh my god, yes. Chip. So now that's just a thing, and now I do it. No, seven seven year old Tony sitting. Watching original run X Files with with the little Pyrex glass dish and those lined around the edges. Everyone had their own. Yeah, Sunday nights were yes, snacks, yes, snacks and yes. and TV at home. And dude, oh my god, I love it. I watching can't believe- original run X Files. I was seven years seven years old watching the Hog Family yeah. episode that never got re-aired. No, because it's the most disturbed. I was just going to ask you: Is there an episode that fucked your world up? That's the one. Like the, the, I still the fluke the jigsaw man, but that episode never re-aired. No, seven years old. That one. You know what's inspired by a true story? I oh god, that's even look, worse. Look it up. It's inspired by a true story. So there was a question that went nuts on Twitter yesterday. That was like, what was the short story that your like sixth grade English teacher made you read that fucked up your entire world forever? And they were going on that, and halfway down the list, like uh, there's two or three stories that that did that for me, but um. The, the one, I, it made me think of that episode because I was home alone because I I, th- I think I was in third or fourth grade at that point. So I could stay home alone. I knew how to microwave stuff, whatever. And I loved the X-Files because most of it was like in canon with like, you know, Scully and Mulder trying to figure out what the government's doing. And that episode aired and I did not go to bed. Every single light <laughs> in the house was on. And I stayed up reading a book until my mom got home at like 1230 from some political function that she was at. And then I just pretended that I had woken up. I was like, oh, I must have fallen asleep with the lights on. Uh, what did you do tonight? Anything to make me not think about how fucked up that episode was. I think it's John Lee Hooker, but you need to look it up. It's a, it is a true story. Oh, God, that makes it even worse. Ugh. Well, uh, I hope I hope I've triggered some terrible childhood memories for some of you out there. <laughs> oh man! Well, uh, should we cheers to that? Yep. Here's to uh, whatever the fuck you guys are talking. And about. And then roll her right back under the bed. <laughs> here's to the here's to the hog family. Oh, Charles, we'll talk about that off here. I don't. I'm like, is this some Skinwalker Ranch shit? Because I don't. Talk I mean, about it's that. you're not far off. All right, where are we at? All right, um, uh, yeah. So numero cuatro. All right, so uh, if if I can, I would love one answer that is sweet and one answer that is salty slash savory. But if you had to think of a perfect bite that you've had from each category or a perfect bite that you could build, what would it be? I think I'm going to kick this over. Okay. Well, I think about it for a moment. Charles, do you want to you take that one? Absolutely. So this is going to be my new thing that I talk about all the time. So listeners, prepare yourselves, especially if you're like a, a live uh, serialized listener. 
and a completionist to this program. So I did it on the last episode, and I'm going to keep doing it. Uh, we're going, my wife and I are going to Mexico City. Wait, when did you get married? Sorry. What? <laughs> Almost exactly three years ago. I Thanks know. For asking. The oh, pictures have been shit. popping up. Yeah, it's our, oh, really? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's our anniversary trip. We're that couple. My, I mean, my wife's a school teacher, and she would like to, as a Spanish teacher, travel to Spanish-speaking countries. So we kind of focus there, even though at times we're going to go elsewhere. We're like, go to Lebanon. But we decided this year we're going to Mexico City. Uh, I am very fortunate to have secured some very high-profile reservations, especially after uh, yesterday they had the um, the presentation of the 2022 Top 50 Restaurants in the World, the number one restaurant in North America, and the number five restaurant in the world is Pujol in Mexico City, and we are going there, and I'm fucking pumped about it. Um, I'm going to do a double whammy here. I'm going to answer both of these as the same fucking answer because if I'm talking about Pujol, I'm almost certainly talking about the 2,500-day-aged uh, mother mole. So that is salty and that's sweet. Uh, it's, it's actually like concentric rings. It's two moles. It's I the, have a friend who just had it. We just okay. All right, yeah. hold on. Help me wrap my head around this. Yeah. So, did you say twenty five hundred day aged? Right now, yes, twenty five hundred days is how long the mother mole has been um, in effect, solarid or uses yep. a mother where he resupplements it. There's like thirty ingredients in each mole because there's a rojo and a negro. Um, one, uh, one is like the. Um, I can't, I, I think the, the, um, the black mole is the one that has been, uh, resupplemented and sure. is the mother sauce. And then the Rojo, I believe is the one that is the more, uh, modernized version. Actually like a fascinating thing is Enrique Olvera says regarding that dish is that, and I wrote this quote down so I'd remember it expressly is he says that, um, it's a taste of Mexico's past and a vision of the future all in one bite. Fuck. So, because he's, you know, he's paying so honor to the tradition. And it's oh. it's been served. And I don't know if this has changed because, you know, he was on Chef's Table and it was one of the most watched episodes ever. And we fawned over it, my wife and I. And I dreamt about someday going to his restaurant. And in when he was on Chef's Table and even more recently, it was always that you got those two concentric circles, like the super dark one and then the, like the dark red one. And then just simply served with tortilla. And then you would just swipe it up and savor it. I don't know if it's still served only in that fashion because I've more recently seen dishes that had moles on them with like sea bass. Mm -hmm. So I guess we'll find out. And I don't, I hate spoilers. So I actually don't want to know. I'd rather find out when I get there. But I know that now we're at about 2,500 days. And the reason that I know that is I saw a recent article and I kind of did the math. And then I saw the top 50 being announced yesterday and it, stated 2500 ish days and i'm like that's a pretty nice figure to walk into this is gonna he's got an infinity bottle of mole that's incredible isn't that dope <laughs> but then so obviously weird. with like all the chilies that he uses and all the savory ingredients there's also chocolate almonds raisins plantain oh, yeah. nutmeg etc so it's just a an, an entire universe of flavor both savory and sweet so for me, it's something that uh, I'm looking forward to because when we've discussed, we've had this mm -hmm. this question in various forms yep. 
I I like the form of something that I'm looking forward Correct. to. Correct. That very much is something that I'm like, I cannot wait to experience that. And you guys are going to hear about it. Duh. I assure you, you're going to hear about it. If you don't hear about it, something went horribly wrong. Like I knocked the pot over or something. I'm probably in Mexican prison or something. But if you don't hear about me eating the mother mole, something went horribly <laughs> wrong. It's libations for every qualm. Uh, rest <laughs> yeah. in peace, Charles Wad. Yeah. <laughs> help, help us save our yes. friend. He uh, knocked over the pot. Today's episode is brought to you by Charles Wad's GoFundMe. Yeah. His, <laughs> his pterodactyl elbows knocked over the pot when they invited him into the kitchen. Uh, it's, like, uh, it's like chef's table meets broke down palace. So we'll, oh we'll try God. and get him out. I was joking I'm at a bar that I have elbows like a pterodactyl because I'll be standing up against the bar with nothing but space behind me and someone will crash in my elbows. I'm like, do I got fucking pterodactyl? Just, just Bill Ambeer, man. You just, <laughs> you're just out there getting your space. It's all good. Why? Why? Tony, uh, did we think of something? Tony, yeah, yeah. I don't want to... Uh, no, I, I... It's a tough question also. No, I did. Um, sweet, I was having a hard time with because mm. I was a weird kid. Um... For Easter, multiple years, my parents got me fruit baskets because I didn't eat candy. Sure. Okay. And, but, you know, you got to go on the, like, mental time machine and go back to late 90s, mid-90s. And a blood orange, as a kid, was super cool. You know, we rarely got a pineapple. Yep. Coconut. So, like, they would get me a fruit basket with weird stuff because I wouldn't eat the candy. And I get all this weird stuff. That's and kind of awesome. Of course, now, like, oh, I'm a coffee roaster and I love tropical flavors in coffee. And, like, mm-hmm. I'm a sucker for those, like, it's papaya. We don't really say what it tastes like. Right. But it's, it, it's funky. <laughs> the kind of thing. Yep. Right. Um, Tell me I'm wrong, Minnesota. When was the last time you had a fresh papaya? <laughs> but I've learned as I've gotten older that I'm embracing my sweet tooth a little bit more. Mm. And I'm I'm getting down more. Like, I always loved a turtle, even though, like, I okay. didn't go to chocolate. Like, and, you know, caramel, nutty, chocolate bitter. It kind of all makes a little bit sense. It's complete so opposite end of that. Happening. But... um Thinking about it, I remembered um, the first time I visited a coffee farm called La Papaya. La Papaya ended up being the farm that I won the U.S. Roaster Championship with. The year before, I made it to finals. I made it, I didn't make it to finals. I made it to the second round of the National um, Brewers Cup with this coffee, and I served it to one of my heroes. And I went up to him at feedback after the first round. He's like, you can't talk to me. I was like, what do you mean I can't talk to you? He's like, you made the finals, right? It's like, no. He's like, that was the best cup of coffee I had. One of the best cups of coffee I had all year. How did you not make it to finals? And I went, wow. visit the farm the next year. That was the very first harvest off this farm. That's a lot of papaya by a farmer named Juan Pena. Sorry, what was the location? Saraguro, uh, Ecuador. Okay. So in this town in Saraguro, there's a... There is a restaurant um, by a uh, chef named Samuel Ortega. And he worked at Albuli. He worked at a couple other places. And we get to the farm and we find out dinner and every other meal is going to be a four-course meal. (laughs) 
catered Fuck. by Chef Samuel Ortega. Come on. And this was a phenomenal meal. And like, we're, literally, we're like trans, Google translating the menu mm. from Spanish. And like, there is this, and it's, it's using native Ecuadorian indigenous ingredients with awesome. the influence of El Bulli. <laughs> we get to dessert. And it is a perfect, perfect chocolate souffle. Oh. Garnished with coffee flowers from the very second harvest of La Papaya that I had just used in National Championship. Oh my God. That I turned around from the original Hacienda and could see the trees. I I can't even. And it was, and I remember that because. I'm beginning to understand that I like these flavors again. Like, yeah. as I said before, I don't like coffee cocktails. I'm a sucker for tiramisu. You put a tiramisu in front of me and okay. that's perfect. But this dish was just like, how, how am I in this place right now? It is absolutely the most beautiful place I've ever been in my life. And you know, massive waterfall coming down, slope of three-year-old coffee trees. Coffee shouldn't produce fruit at three years old. He's got this crazy irrigation system. And his story is just fascinating. And I could go into it. And I've, you know, getting to travel there two times has, you know, been amazing. Yeah. And I've had to, I've had the opportunity of having many meals created for me by the chef. And it's, it's one, what you mentioning chef's table, it's watching these series and nobody knows about this guy. And every time I put on these series, I'm like, somebody needs to find this guy. Ah. He's in a little town halfway between Cuenca and Loja. And he's just doing effectively roadside food for these people driving between two towns in Ecuador. And it's, I've had, uh, I've had Cui at his, the only time I've had Cui was at his place. And it was a very rare cooey. <laughs> I'm I'm okay. Yeah, but I, you know, and ending that night with traditional musicians and dancers coming in and performing for us, and then led into my scariest ghost story ever. <laughs> but um, I mean, is that a story you can tell? If not, that's okay. I, 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 that's not. No, it, it, I, yeah, I can tell it. I mean, we were, it was one of the oldest buildings on the property. It was low ceilings, which has implications being one of the oldest buildings on the property and one of the most beautiful places I've ever been to, which is in the shadow of a mountain that's got a waterfall that has been syncretized. I'll put it that way. Okay. And throughout the evening, heard the sounds of metal scraping down the walls inside and outside of the building. And we first heard the babbling brook coming down the road. And we're like, okay, we have a bunch. We have traditional musicians at an ecotourism place. You know, I, I hate when people ask me, do you ever, do you get worried when you travel? Like, I... 
where I live, I'm in more danger than when mm-hmm. I travel in most situations. And I've lived in enough cities to know, don't make attention to yourself. Granted, being the clearly coffee buyer traveling through cities, you can't not make attention to yourself sometimes, but yep. don't be dumb is a general good idiom. Um, so we're like, oh, shit. Someone is rolling their van. Because it sounds like a van slowly rolling. Like someone's, because a band has been playing, like clearly tourists are here. What's happening? Mm. We got out, we searched the entire property and didn't see anything. I was with a guy, um, Joe Morocco, if any of you know him, he was in the cities for a while. He's in Kansas City now. Um, a legend in the coffee world and is, was my mentor for many, many years. Him and I were sharing a room. He was telling me his ghost stories from being a kid to calm the situation. Oh, shit. We were hanging out with a bunch of roasters a couple years later, and everyone was telling their stories. And then he starts telling this story, and I was like, hey, guys, all the stories you told, Joe was telling me this to distract us from these sounds (laughs) Ah, all night. That's so frightening. Literally, the like old log cabin... And the sounds of a machete just scraping on the inside, outside, roof every like 15 minutes. That's Wake up, spend time on the farm in the morning. Holy shit. I, I, the only reason I asked, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by that because I am, I am uh, not spiritual. I am not a, a ghost believer, but I do think that like since energy can't be eliminated, I do think that like when an active person passes that energy has to go somewhere. So I do, I do feel like that there are like weird different energies and I don't, I haven't gone super far down that road before, but I remember, uh, we, we decided when I was in college to sleep in an abandoned barn and, uh, we were getting ready to fall asleep. And at the same time, my friend and I both got quiet and we heard footsteps and we tried to like, just pretend like we weren't, you know, basically like kind of hide, but also not kind of move. And then we came back and we both looked at each other and I was like, I, I, I'm just going to try and go to bed. And the next day we both got up and we both talked about it at the exact same time that we saw some guy walk by in like a yellow raincoat with a yellow rain hat. And there were no footprints outside of ours anywhere around that place. And I still like, I creep the fuck out every time I think about it. And it was just the fact that we said it at the same time. And I don't know what that was. Even if that was a real person, that's still fucking frightening that in the middle of nowhere in an abandoned barn, like some dude in a yellow raincoat with a yellow rain hat walked by. Or the fact that both of us saw the same thing. I don't know. I, that's the one thing that I've still never been able to explain in all of, all of my years. But, sorry. And. I just realized I didn't answer the second half of that question. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How do we get from what's the best sweet and savory dish to what's your best ghost story? Because we have a lot of fun on this podcast. Um, <laughs> best savory dish would either be, um, both of them were Trosco inspired, but I um, after winning U.S. Roaster Championship, Joe from previous story uh, took me to strip club and JD had a Trosco it wasn't Joe actually ordered it. I didn't. And I had bits of Joe's meal and it was the Colombian Tarasco. Mm. Perfect. And then 
other best dish was um uh why am I blanking on the name of the restaurant? Gavin Kaysen's restaurant. Spoon and Stable. Spoon and Stable, mm-hmm. yes. I'm I'm horrible with names and COVID has wrecked my brain. Um Spoon and Stable went for my anniversary a couple of years ago. And whoever was to at the time had a dish on the menu that was a poblano, a house hominy and poblano steak. Oh. And I I believe it was I don't remember his name. His wife owns um, Vikings and Goddesses. He was doing the fermentation project there. Oh, yeah. Um, um, shit. I know you're talking about. Sorry. And I only know this because we were meeting. It was a pastry meeting with Vikings and Goddesses, and he was there. And I was like, I had amazing dishes. So that was mine. I was like, holy shit, that was one of the best dishes. And that was all amazing because I, I was home with my wife, and we're watching Top Chef, and it's the episode and it's JD and Gavin. And like, that's one of the things I love about Minneapolis is like, I'm just a little guy trying to do my own, own stuff. And these two guys who have made some of my best meals ever are getting national press together. (laughs) And it's like, like, I just, I love that I'm in a city where I can be excited about other people (laughs) doing cool shit. For sure. And like, I just, you know, I want to do my cool shit. But yeah, like yeah, I like it's I cool know that like, guy. Yeah, like, and for me at least, I don't know if it's the same for you. Like, it almost makes it better when I also care about the human being. I'm like, oh, I know that person, and that's a great person. And yes, other people get it because that's like what they make is amazing to me. And now other people get it. Like, I love yeah, I love seeing the the praise and the flowers being tossed to the people that we love, especially when they're doing really cool shit. <laughs> I, uh, so I guess like for my sweet one, it is a little bit savory as well because, uh, I don't go towards sugar, 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 but if there was a bite or want to have, this is a had, and this is one that I would give anything to have again, given my, uh, where my palate's at now, because this was 16 years ago. ago. Mm. Uh, but I was fortunate enough on one of my trips to Norway to be given a guided tour through uh, one of their dairies where they were making uh, cheese. And in Norway, you have to, you can't have, I, I, I don't know if it's changed since then, but you couldn't have more than 50 uh, head of cattle for a dairy. So there's no, okay. there's no corporate farming. So everything that all of these farms produce comes in to these dairies and then they grade whatever it's going to be. So the best milk goes to milk for people to drink and then there's butter and then there's cheese and there's like there's all these different levels right so um i went to a a tour of a a yetust facility which is goat cheese that they ferment and sweeten and it turns into this it's 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 brown it's like a like a dark tan beige color Mm. um and it is somewhere between butterscotch caramel and like a soft white cheese. So it's literally sweet hmm. and savory at the same time. And it is not an easy flavor to navigate if you're not open to it. Okay. Because it's almost everything at the same time so much that it kind of overwhelms you. But um, when it pours out, 
it is it's liquid so they you know they make it and then they're putting it in molds and uh i got to take a shortbread cookie made on site and dip it in fresh molten cheese and then eat that and shortbread inherently because it's just like butter a little bit of sugar and flour pretty neutral but it's also a little bit sweet and savory it's very, very sure. neutral, but, but it, you, it skews in both directions. You're eating something on it that has that powerful flavor. Correct. So you have a you have a cookie that is a little bit sweet and a little bit uh, salty, like a shortbread, mm-hmm. right? And then you're dipping it in this sweet and salty cheese. And then you literally look at it for five seconds, and it starts to congeal. And then you eat it. I would give anything, because... Like, even just talking about it right now, my mouth started watering because I had never tasted anything like that before. I would love now, given how much I have learned and tried and eaten and cooked, I would love to go back and try that bite again. Mm -hmm. Because I fantasize about how delicious that was because I had never had something that was so perfectly sweet and savory on both ends. I would eat that for dessert every night if it tastes like I remember it tasting like. But at the time, my palate was a little bit more restricted, I guess I would say. I, I was still learning how to cook. I, I, I just wasn't, I wasn't quite as learned maybe as You're I am right. now, as experienced. Yeah. So I would love to try that again. On the, on the savory side, I was uh, recently reminded of how good classics can be. Uh, I had one of my best friends on earth over while my wife was out of town, and uh, he brought two uh 28 day dry aged ribeyes over and uh i put the plancha on our smoker and heated that up and kept it at 500 degrees for maybe half an hour so it was really 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 hot and we uh first uh smoked and roasted some uh mushrooms and then brought those inside chopped them up and cooked them down with some veal demi-glace and then we did a, a tomato and mozzarella salad with red onions. Or sorry, tomatoes and red onion salad with blue cheese across the top. We mm. pivoted. Okay. And then uh, did a little bit of sea salt and a little bit of MSG across the top of that. Uh, fresh roasted corn and then a little garlic mashed potatoes. And uh, I, also threw, <laughs> I also threw some bacon grease on the plancha just to yeah. add a little FU to it. Uh, and seared the steaks off, and I did a bite of all of that together. And it was just a great reminder that all the ridiculous stuff that I I do, all the -the over-the-top shit that I do every now and then because I just want to try something, a classic's a classic for a reason, Mm y'all. Like a ribeye with beautiful, brilliant red and yellow tomatoes, red onion, salt, MSG, Wisconsin blue cheese, garlic mashed potatoes, fresh roasted corn. I just, I sat there and I methodically made a forkful that got everything on there. And I just sat back and thought like, yeah, it's like putting on like a Zeppelin record. Like there is all kinds of insane shit that I love and I will always love. But holy fuck, when you hear that intro to Kashmir or the, the, the pitter patter from John Bonham on, on Ramble On starts, it's like, nope. 
<laughs> this is a fucking classic for a reason. And these songs, these meals, these bites have birthed a million other ones that are also amazing. But that that bite together was fucking perfect. There's not a man who doesn't want the slow motion film scene of walking into a room and flipping over a table <laughs> to when the levee breaks. Yes, yes. 100%. You, you can't physically walk that pace and look cool. <laughs> and Ryman and Ceiling samples it, but it's not as cool. Nope. Every single one of my groomsmen, we used to have the conversation hanging out in my friend's dorm room every night. What's your, and one of the conversations was when your levy breaks. When levy breaks, it's, that's yep. my interest song. Yep. And and you you couldn't, but you can't you can't walk that slow and look cool. Nope. And you, Ryman and Ceiling's close, but, but not, not there. No, no, no. It's 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 that perfect <laughs> moment. And that's in my head. That's like what was playing. It was everything that taught me everything that I love about music, and that meal was everything that taught me about where I wanted to go with food. And that was, it was just a reminder that sometimes it's best to like think of an idea, strip 30% out and then start there. A damn good steak. It's a damn good steak. Like it just, it it is. Uh, On, on the fourth this year we did, um, we just ended up going skirt steak and we found a nice skirt steak and we, our menu ended up going a little more Latin. So, and I'm I'm not a marinade person, but it was skirt steak, so I did a marinade. But, and I got my egg up super hot. Like, I put grill grate on the smoker thing so that I was like two inches under. I had that up to 750. Ooh. And when I flipped it, I threw rosemary, thyme, and lavender from our garden yes. under the steak so that would char underneath. Like a herbs the Provence situation right there, and it was, oh, it was a skirt steak, but it was a damn good <laughs> skirt, skirt steak. The other thing that is an element of enjoyment when you think of Quam's dish, the savory dish, is I don't know where you reside while you're listening to this, but in the Midwest here in Minnesota our warm season is fleeting and things like, and this is a lot of the world because of seasonality, but things like tomatoes and corn don't taste Mm -hmm. any good, really. I mean, you can eat them, but they're entirely different foods this time of year in the state. And being able to cook outdoors comfortably, so cooking the steak out there, cooking the corn out there, having fresh tomatoes, even just those elements, never mind all the other elements that are involved in that, just like being able to cook all those things outdoors and then a fresh tomato and and really good sweet corn this time of year. Like sweet corn's happening right now and it's fucking phenomenal. And it's entirely different. I mean, Tony, you said it. This is a luxury, so why not shoot for the moon? Why not make everything at its peak and have it all right there? Like I was so I was just so happy. And you like it doesn't have to be a shoot for the moon expenditure. Like it was no. skirt steak. It just we Yes. Took the time. Yep. And it... I just meant, like, grab everything that's in season. Sure. Yeah, like, let's, for like, sure. We were like, oh, we also, we cut up an entire watermelon, like, which is also brilliantly in season for, like, mm-hmm. one month, and then it'll get weird and watery and right. gross again. So we just, like, we tried to grab, we went to this <laughs> store, we actually went to two grocery stores, and we just tried to grab everything fresh that looked good 
and brilliant. And like, what are we going to miss when it's cold as fuck and everything is brown or white? Like what, what are we going to miss? Like, let's eat yeah, all of that right that's now. That's what we should be doing all the time right yeah. now. Like the market that Tony saw me at on Saturday, I was happy to see garlic scapes because I somehow oh. had not come across them and I fucking love them. And it's a very Lebanese thing that literally just fine mince them and put them in your scrambled eggs. That's a, Great memory of my awesome. childhood, just throwing, my mom would make me scrambled eggs with garlic scapes. In I them love and pickling then them. Eat it with flatbread, just like, yeah, pickling them, making pestos with them. Spectacular. And so we have this fleeting season where you have to, like, seize it. And, of course, yeah, it, it's great to clarify, Tony, that it, it's not about spending. No. Because spatchcock a chicken and get an $11 bottle of rosé, and that's oh. a fucking fantastic evening. I mean, Slice up a single the reason ramen. I know garlic scapes is... My wife and I joined mm. a CSA when we were in Oregon because we had to. To have quality produce and be affordable in Central Oregon, mm. we had to join a CSA. And okay. yes, there's ethics and values and everything sure. that's around that, but we were in one of the highest cost of living cities in the country, and I was a barista and coffee roaster. And the reason we waited to have kids is partially because we couldn't afford to have kids. Yeah. Mm. So we'd get stuff in our CSA and be like, what is this? <laughs> and we'd go to Mark Bittman's How to Cook Everything. And yeah. be like, yes. What is this? How do we cook it? Because we bought that book because another friend was in a CSA and said she bought it because she was in she needed mm -hmm. to know how to cook that. And we got garlic scapes. And they're they're so good and throwing them in a fresh dill pickle so that I have them all year because it's such a unique flavor. And they stink so good. It's makes your whole fridge stink <laughs> like in the best way. And it like, that's, you know, I'm, I'm not in a CSA now, but that was one of the best things about being in it is mm -hmm. we got this thing and we don't know what it is, but Let's we got to figure it out. Yep. I mean, going back to you as a business owner and everything of like so much of life is just figured out. Mm -hmm. How do you figure yeah, it out? That, that is life. We're all just figuring it out. Fucking figure it out. Well, shit, pass me that sour mash. Cause I want to cheers to that. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cheers to figuring it out. Cheers to, or at least trying to figure it out as a one word. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> you want, oh, yeah sorry. Oh, I'm good. I still have a couple ounces here. Yes. Well, hey, let's do a little cheers to... Uh, hey, cheers. To figure it out. All right, guys. Fucking figure it out. Fucking figure it out. <laughs> Who's up to bat? It's me again. This is my oh, twofer. Yeah, that's your back-to-back. Back-to-back. Uh, all right. So, being around people, being around caffeine a lot, uh, obviously keeps things going sometimes like an engine where you're around something that could just keep you pushing forward. I asked earlier about, like, what is your morning routine? I was wondering, do you have, like, a wind down with, uh, with business? Obviously, you have to think about a ton of stuff. Your brain's going all the time. Uh, in addition to the fact that you're surrounded by a stimulant, whether or not you imbibe, uh, is there, like, a, a, a calm down thing? Because I think that's something, especially with like we were talking about earlier, being surrounded by technology, it's hard to start to turn the volume down or to land the plane. Uh, do you have like a, a relaxation? Do you have an evening ritual? Do you have anything that you do to just kind of get ready for 
going to bed? I I should and I don't. <laughs> uh, that <laughs> by itself is a great answer. Um, I mean, as I said before, I have a seven-year-old. I have a three-month-old at home. I have a wife that is part of the seven, well, a primary factor of the seven-year-old <laughs> three-month-old. Three so, and my week is front-loaded just as things are now. I roast as much as I can on Monday, get it packed, roast the rest of it Tuesday, get it packed, rush deliveries on Wednesday so that Wednesday I can do my quality control. And then honestly, I'm kind of burning out by Thursday and Friday, but got to get everything else done. And so I am in the mode of, I've done a 10 hour day of physically moving coffee around. I mean, coffee comes at 155 pound bag I'm throwing 30-pound batches in the roaster. I'm moving 50-pound buckets of roasted coffee up and down. And I just want 10 minutes of chill. Yeah. But I'm walking into my wife, who is working full-time from home with a three-month-old, and have to jump into dad mode right away. Sure. And that runs until 7, 7.38, when we put the seven-year-old to bed. And that's an alternating process of who has him, but now with a three-month-old, usually the other one has him, and maybe you get to watch an episode of your show while the seven-year-old goes to bed. Mm -hmm. um, most recently, for an example, I started the finale of The Bear mm. and had to stop 15 minutes in. And I finally finished that episode today while nice. packing coffee. And I know you talked about that <laughs> that show recently on the Tell show. Tell me it didn't move yeah. you. We just talked about it the other day. Oh, my God. Because I finally saw the finale. And having to cut that in the... Thankfully, I cut that, like, in a low moment. Yeah, I was going to say. But that is, a, that is a show. Yeah. And that I, is, I, that's yeah. what I love about streaming, that we can just break form. Yep. And episodes can be what they need to be. Sure. And stories can be tell stories. My favorite part of that show, though... Is I'm, I don't want to ruin too much, but episode six, when shit's hitting the fan, and just the the clear, you know it's probably ADR, mm -hmm. cut of Maddie Matheson saying, Carmi's really mad. <laughs> just <laughs> as Canada as he can get. Just broke me. It's like, so it was cool just so perfectly done. If you're listening, no real spoilers. You don't need yeah. to. But just... And just the, the casting of him as the maintenance guy is just like, and Joel McHale yeah, as chef, just great, great casting great. on that show. Uh, and being, and I know you have Chicago ties, like the the beef, living a couple blocks from Alzay number one Italian beef and Ed yeah. DeBevix, and it's like, so just you have, like, yeah, you have some like deep connection to I've dude I've talked about yeah. it on the show my first experience at Al's is one of my top five favorite food experiences in my life there there's a there's a stoop in Chicago that I could probably tell you where it is that is like most meaningful in my life but we'll wait for off air for that right, one right, like um it. it's it's where I got engaged and you know one of those moments that like you can't walk. You, I can't walk past it and not kiss my wife because it's it's. There's a a certain little half basement cafe bar restaurant that just like is where I started to become an adult, and it's just like that's a beautiful city. But 
um, my like my routine just like runs chaos until <laughs> seven thirty eight eight thirty, and then it's we're exhausted. Netflix. I go make myself a cocktail, and me making myself a cocktail at night is, um, as I told you two earlier, I'm I'm experiential. Like what fits. What am I watching? Am I snacking? What fits this? Mm. And gin and high rye bourbon are my go-tos. It's like, well, and those are so Polaris. I got really excited that I thought, I thought you were going to tell me about a gin and high rye bourbon that you were going (laughs) to do together. And I'm like, yo, we are breaking boundaries right now, son. (laughs) So I'm starting to explore tequila I like, but those are just so big worlds and being a dive in, know everything. Like I love both those because they're so terroir driven, like everything about coffee comes into those, but uh, also being a semi-anxious, nervous person. Like I, I want to get into this. I know I can't like, I don't feel worth all that stuff comes into this. So for me, making a cocktail at night is like, do I want, do I want to, neat do I want a cocktail do like and it's mixing and mixing till I get mm. this taste right and have had some genius breakthroughs and have some disasters I have to suffer through okay so your one <laughs> cocktail is like four cocktails it, it, it can start to <laughs> add up I called Guam out for this sort of thing a couple episodes Fair. ago <laughs> he said yeah I just made myself one cocktail but I was balancing and tasting and I was like okay <laughs> So you made like four cocktails. And then it's a little <laughs> a little sip when I let the dog out to go to bed. Okay. Because you need the bitter at the end of the night. You need you need you need the period at the end of a sentence. <laughs> there you go. So your wind down is actually like getting yourself to the point where you can try to wind down. And then you make yourself a cocktail and then it does that make you sleepy? Do cocktails make you kind of like is that your bedtime medicine? <laughs> it it, de- it depends. Yeah. But I mean, usually my wife is like Sleepy about half an hour to an hour before me. Okay. But sometimes if, like, you should probably go to bed now. You got to get up in the morning. And sometimes it's, what's on YouTube? And Yeah. Yeah. You go into the spiral. Yeah. Yeah. That can happen as well. Uh, I don't, I also similarly don't have a specific routine. I notoriously dislike sleep. I, I feel like. Uh, I want to get an appropriate amount of sleep for my body, but I don't want to waste hours of my life uh, laying unconscious. So I don't sleep a lot. I'm early to rise and late to go to bed, uh, but I still try to like manage what's healthy. Like I still want to sleep an appropriate number of hours. My bedtime routine, and you know, it sounds like it's not very glamorous or romantic, but my my nighttime routine does somewhat revolve around the television because I will put something on whether or not I am observing it. Because if I start reading and it's really late at night, I'll start to nod off and I'll kind of be like half reading. And if I'm not ready to go to sleep, then I don't want to fall asleep. So my routine is uh, ordinarily like, I'll put on, I'll either actively watch a series that I want to watch or like I'll put on some like 1970s pro wrestling and it's just playing in the background or I'll watch someone play video games on Twitch or um, I'll, I'll put on some sporting event. But 
most evenings I'll, I'll have the screen on and there'll be something playing and then I'm either paying direct attention to it or I'm doing something else, whether that be uh, reading, studying up on something, which is almost exclusively things that I'm trying to do that are outside of my career. I try not to work late, late at night. So that could mean like writing recipes or something like that or, or putting together the map for a forthcoming trip or making dinner reservations. Can I ask of that a, nature. a quick clarifying question? Absolutely. Um, I don't understand the watching somebody play video games on Twitch. Is it a That's fine. like a sports game or is it like a, a story campaign or you is it multiplayer? No, I'm saying like what do you enjoy? I I, I get it, that it's a thing. I totally understand that. I don't have one game I watch. So it's no, but like is there a style of games or are you nope. just like open is it, or whatever? Is it noise just as information white noise because i feel like we run the gaming or like just the tv the tv i feel like we run on yeah. a really similar wavelength where if i'm if information is not coming in i can't block out everything else when i'm roasting it's podcasts like it's not mm. music because i have to focus on a task and if i'm not focusing on that that if wow. if i don't have okay this and I'm listening to both, but to focus, I need something blocking out the like, hey, what about? Hey, what about? Ah, yeah. Hey, no, I can see that. I, I guess it's a little different for me. when I'm So when I'm working, um, I find it difficult even to listen to music if I have to be uh, limber. If I have to be mentally limber, I can't listen to anything. If I'm doing... Um, tasks where like I'm in a groove I can listen to music and if I'm doing tedious tasks I can listen to podcasts but it depends how much of my brain I have to use in the evening when I have the tv on it's like to have either I'm focusing on what's on the television and that could be trash tv or it could be like a series that I want to watch that my wife doesn't want to watch or it could be um you know sometimes I am focusing on on watching uh wrestling whether that be live or 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 some classic stuff or watching video games uh and sometimes it's just like on in the background. And that's really just, uh, I think really it's to not sit in a quiet room by myself because I don't really enjoy doing that. I wish I liked it more. I like being outside by myself when it's quiet because I can hear the world around me. I don't like being in a quiet room. And also with misophonia, then I start to hear shit happening outside. Like if someone's like, bumping around with their car, setting their alarm over and over, like the person who's like, boop, 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 boop. and I'm like, dude, stop. Like, I, I can hear that. So it's also just the din of a little background noise. Quam, uh, to answer your question, yeah, the watching people vi play video games thing, sometimes it's a game I know I'm never going to play, and so I get a kick out mm. of watching someone play. Okay. And sometimes it's a good personality, and then you can hear them crack jokes as they're yeah, yeah, yeah. enjoying like, games and stuff. I've, I've, um, like, I, I have started to dip my toes in the waters because, mm. like, I look at my nephews and my niece, and all they do, they don't even play the games. They just mm. watch other people play the games. And sure. That really broke my brain for a while. And I've come around on, like, I can now, if there's a game that I'm having a tough time with, I'll watch somebody else, like, play through it and be like, oh, okay, well, you're looking at it from a completely different way than I am. Similarly to how I would watch, like, after, you know, like, on, like, Monday or Tuesday when, like, Sports Center they'll have their, like, football guys come on and talk about how they would have game-planned it differently. Like, I, I like, oh, okay, I get it. Like, this was the strategy that was mm -hmm. put out. It didn't work. Why didn't it work, and what should they have done better? I get that. 
I'm, I was just wondering, like, what aspect of that allows you to disengage? Because the only time that I will intake somebody else playing video games is when I'm trying to learn something about said game. Oh, yeah. It's just very casual, and it's mostly people who admit that they're amateurs. I actually hate watching... I hate watching news, and I hate watching ESPN now. These people claiming to be professionals that I often feel like have no fucking idea what they're talking about. For sure, yeah, so watching someone kind of casually enjoy themselves playing a game is somewhat soothing. Like almost, sure. Almost therapeutic. I probably could. I wish I had a more romantic answer. I wish I had better ways to slow myself down at the end of the evening other than cuddling my cat and watching other people play video games. But I, I don't. And I run hot. Like, I'm mentally just always running 500 miles per hour. So I would like to work on better skills to just like shut my brain off late at night without necessarily going to sleep. Mm-hmm. I, I wish I had better methods to do that. Maybe someday I'll find them. I almost feel like I'd have to move. Do you guys ever get that feeling that like y- your rooms in the home that you're in are used for a specific purpose because you've accustomed yourself to using those rooms for their pur- those purposes? So sometimes I do think like if I move, then I could have a living room that I would not think of sitting in that same spot with my cat and turning on the TV. Hmm. Does that make sense? I mean, yeah. Do other people think like No, this? for sure. I, I've said... Um, the two, you know, being a business owner, like I'm, I'm not rolling it in right now. I, I'm, things are okay and we're going to keep it going. And Good. I'm very proud of that. Like that's where we're at of now. Like I can bring somebody on and know that I can keep them employed. And that's a very big pride point right now. For sure. But anybody who opens a business gets that pipe dream going of like, oh, but Someday. Yep. <laughs> and I've I've always jokingly said, like, I'll know that I've made it when I have regular access to a sauna. But that's mm. morphed now into, like, I, I'm becoming an old man and I kind of want a house on the water because I know that, like, that's where I can sit and chill because yeah. there's enough sound going on that I can quiet my mind. And I can force myself to go out to the water. Yeah. And just stop. Because it's really hard to just stop. And that may or may not ever happen. And it doesn't need to happen. And if it happens, I'm a very lucky, blessed, throw whatever word you need to put on that person. But it's you kind of need those dreams to keep absolutely keep pushing it, and I totally resonate with what you're saying. I'm just the like, you know i've I've heard so much about the um whatever the sensation of hearing sounds as like pleasurous. But for me, I remember we one night going to the Mall of America, eating at Johnny Rockets on a stressful night and hearing that roller coaster. And it's all I could hear was that roller coaster. It's like, I just, (laughs) what a happy day. And all I'm hearing is the roller coaster. Is it because it sounded like the machete? 
No. <laughs> also, he's right behind you. <laughs> Ten points for callback. <laughs> That's got a, one of my special skills. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, yeah, I'm so, you're up. Yeah. Uh, well, no, just uh, real oh. quickly though. Like, so do you? Do you this time of year? Because again, uh, this podcast is originating from Minnesota. This time of year, do you find that you can go outside to relax and just like listen to the din of the environment of crickets or something in a way that you can't in your home? Because I do feel that way. I can go outside and light a cigar, keep my phone in my pocket, and I just feel like I can relax in a different way than I don't know. There's something like about being in my house and turning the screen on. Yeah, summer t- summertime is really unique in that when you call it to my attention. Um, my wife loves having a fire. And, mm. you know, we... On days when it's not 98. Yeah. We're really... We're really... Yeah. We managed to get a little bit bigger property than a lot of people have in in the cities. And... We have a fireplace in our front yard that gives us a little more room, and I'm I'm hesitant to that. You know, I want to go to just the shut off my mind mode. Like it's it's a Friday night. Like one of the, one of the things that's I really appreciate about my wife, and I've started to understand a little bit more after 14 years of marriage, is just the value of ritual, and she's fire driven and we have multiple things every week that are rituals in our family it's friday night pizza movie night and it's not always pizza it may be spam fried rice because that's my son's favorite meal or um may just be popcorn but um it's friday night movie and i get locked into that of and that's when she's usually in a fire mode um but that i never want to have the fire I never want to go through the process of that. But once the fire's going, I don't want to put it out. I want to do that. Okay, one of us is going to go put him to bed. And we're going to have a little bit of time out here. And it's for you. Um, We have Sunday morning cinnamon rolls. And for over 15 years, we've had cinnamon rolls almost every Sunday morning. And that goes back to me. Oh, that's tremendous. Coming out of my Bible school, interning at a church as a graphic design intern. She was doing music. And then I would, so I would do intern at the church on a Sunday morning and then I'd go work a shift till close at this coffee shop at midnight. And we just kind of locked this time in of, she would come over to my apartment. She would put cinnamon rolls in the oven while I got ready. We'd have 15 minutes of cinnamon rolls. And now it's evolved into homemade cinnamon rolls every other Sunday. And then, you know, she freezes half the batch, but... She's got a damn good cinnamon roll recipe. I bet. Um, <laughs> and it, I mean, there was a, a of, there was a period a where it was a mother awesome. frosting that was a bourbon glaze that was through multiple years old, and oh, shit. it you know yeah. moving cross country lost lost some of that. But um, we have a Wednesday every Wednesday's Brinner, and it, that's out of utility. If mm. you know she plans her meals. Mm-hmm. But if she can just like look at Wednesday and say, I have to make a Brenner. And she likes breakfast food more than I do. And I'll get on board with that. It makes a life, her life easier mm-hmm. planning our meals. 
Um, oh, the woman who had a mother sauce for her cinnamon rolls likes breakfast more than you do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? And, you oh. know, I mean, but there, there's, there's still excellent breakfast. Like it's, it's Dutch babies with. I feel you like, know. hold on, I feel like you need to get to a 2,500-day-aged frosting <laughs> for the <Yeah>. cinnamon rolls. <laughs> Holy shit, would that be sick? <laughs> it, I mean, it, it, was going for, it was going for a really good while. Yeah. But, like, I mean, last Sunday, they were, you know, we've had a hot, dry summer. Yep. And the rise in those cinnamon rolls last Sunday, <laughs> you, you'd be challenged to beat those things totally. anywhere. And just like that's one thing that I really appreciate about her is, and one of the things that came out of COVID too was being stuck at home. We have a really low, we have a, the oldest house in our neighborhood. So it's an old farmhouse and things were added on. So above our living room, which was the original deck, so it's long, narrow, really shallow deck coming off our bedroom. It was like, okay, well, we have a window off our bedroom. That opens onto our deck. And I've always kind of dreamed of the, like, wouldn't it be amazing to have the the door that opens up your bedroom onto the de- deck? Well, we don't, we don't have that, but we got a low window. So why don't we climb out the window onto the low deck, Hell yeah. drink a glass of wine. We have a huge old growth maples and a couple other trees growing right up. Like no one can see us. And we, we don't feel like we're in the world. Well, the, Fucking Hell's Angels are bombing down university. Yeah. That's <laughs> and amazing. just like that's one thing that I've learned, especially in the past couple of years, to really love about my wife is that she pulls me out of that. That she's she is still Enneagram one, very driven person, but she can make me pump the brakes on the I have to always have it all together. I can't stop. (laughs) I think we all need that. (laughs) But it's also people sitting around obsessive about something like we're obsessed. We're obsessive people Mm -hmm. and people that are listening to this are probably obsessive people. Like you're not going to listen to a food and beverage podcast for three fucking hours. (laughs) If you're not obsessive. (laughs) No, you're, you're not wrong. I just, I just think that, my my partner in life has reminded me that it doesn't always have to be that. And that's what I would do. I would resort to obsessing over things all the time, whether it was my own personal knowledge gains or a hobby that I was into or my career or whatever it may be. I would keep doing that if it wasn't for her. And she reminds me that there's other things outside of that. And she still lets me have plenty of kite string, but like I also need to be reeled in sometimes. And that's, that's important for me. Um, the fire thing that you were talking about with your partner was very, very real for me. I, I have a, a loose theory at best uh, that a professor, one of my favorite professors in college uh, gave me. And it was that um, fire, recreational fire for, for humanoids, for our, our ancestors, whether it was Neanderthal or any of the other uh, Homo XXX species, um, being able to actually know how to build a fire allowed us to have light in the dark, warmth, and safety because most predators would be afraid of it. And so that gave 
what were our, you know, genetic ancestors the first time to contemplate their own lives. It gave us consciousness. It gave us the ability to think about things and extrapolating that further in my head. And again, this is not, this is not anything based in, in science, but in my head, that's where laughter and music, my two favorite things would come from because now you have time to gather together and if there's no written word, well, how do you transfer stories? How do you transfer knowledge? Well, you can either talk and hopefully do things that make people happy, which would be laughter, or mm. how do you create something rhythmic that would allow people to remember it because they could remember the rhythm of something and they could keep it going. And then that would be how that knowledge could be passed on. And I still think about that every time I sit around a fire. I, I love even in the, like it was 98 degrees and I, as a high, and I lit a fire that night because I just wanted to sit by a fire. I was home by myself. My wife was out of town for work. And I just wanted to, like my dog was like, what are you doing, dude? I'm going inside. Just, she just went inside and laid down in bed. Mm-hmm. But I sat out by a fire and just stared at it because that absolutely is calming for me. It's something beautiful that I can't control. It's as much as I know about science, I still have a tough time explaining why the colors lick and flip the way that they do. Uh, even knowing what the explanation is for that, it still baffles my imagination. And I enjoy that there are still things that do that for me. But barring a fire, <laughs> uh, I go into something that brings me the most calm, which not surprising to anybody who's listened to the show before, uh, is music and I will try and set myself up with like a two or three song playlist that gives me joy and I'll try and pick a different layer of the music. If it's like a full-on band, I'll pick a different instrument that that's what I'm going to listen to tonight and I'm going to try and figure out like what that person was doing. If it's something that was uh, produced more in like the electronic realm, I'll try and figure out like what was that producer conveying in the background stuff, not the lyrics, not the forefront but like, what were they doing in the background? And that will usually settle me down enough that then I'll just turn that off. And then it's, it's, I try to do some deep breathing and, and calm me down because my brain is prone to run forever. And, uh, without things like that, it will. And then I am a big fan of all things in the CBD, THC, HHC world. And that has also completely changed my life. And so I will, whether it's a couple drops of tincture or uh, like some sort of edible, uh, whatever it is, I, the only thing I, I won't do is, is smoke anymore, but uh, that's more of my issue with formerly cigarettes. Um, but that just kicks in and that, that calms all the other static going around there. And then I can really focus in on something. And then it's once I start focusing in, it's very slowly, and then we just deep breathe and go to bed. And it has completely changed my life. So my only advice and the reason that I ask this question is whether or not it's anything related to anything any of us have talked about, like just try and come up with something that you do at the end of the night. Because if you're intentional about slowing down, whatever those tools may be, it will help you relax before you go to sleep. Like thinking about, I need to start slowing down before it's like, Oh, it's time for bed. 
like thinking about ramping down, it'll just make your life easier. Or at least anecdotally it has for me. Uh, so yeah, there's that. Right on. And now you've all gone to sleep. But we still wow. got another question, so cheers. Oh yeah, one more, <laughs> one more topic of conversation to go. Cheers, gents. Charles, I believe you're uh, you're riding this one across the finish line. Oh yeah. Okay, I so feel like you can't say, hold on. I feel like you can't mm. say oh yeah without at least a half-assed. Oh, yeah. Oh, all oh, right. What? I thought you were gonna go Macho Man. Ooh, oh yeah. We'll save that for later. We've already talked about wrestling on this episode, so I don't want to turn anybody off. Kool Aid. Oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so Tony, I know you spent a lot of time. <laughs> traveling in South America on coffee adventures. What is one of your favorite locales that you visited? And tell us about someone or something that left an impact or a lasting memory on you. Um, those kind of go different directions. Um, my favorite places to travel are, I love going to Colombia. I love going to Guatemala. Um, those two are still more authentic, more wild for a lack of better term, mm. um, than some of the other countries I've gone to. Um, you know, I've, I've told stories about Ecuador and that's like this kind of a new frontier kind of vibe. But... Colombia and Guatemala are some of my favorite coffee-growing countries. Um, some of my best memories are from there. They're much farther removed from the influence of capitalism than some other places. Sure. I've not okay. done many metropolitan areas in the place I've traveled. For me, it's usually fly in get to the hotel, get on a bus in the morning, get drive three to six hours, get to the farms, mm -hmm. get back to the city, get on an airplane and fly out. Um, you know, I the last trip I had to Guatemala, I had a day and a half in Antigua, which isn't normal for me. In Ecuador, I had some time in Cuenca. But, like, I've been to Peru, never done... Uh, Lima, I've, okay, you know, I just, I've not had time for those. It's, it's a business trip yep. and I'm so work-minded of like, get in, get out, get home to my family. And I know guys that are way further on that spectrum than me who are like, I want a okay. half a day. I want to pick my coffees and I want to get out of there. Um, so those are places I just love. And it just, I mean, a, steakhouse in Colombia where you walk in and there's a fire going and there's skewers of meat just like especially in that area like San Agustin um that part of uh Wheela where I've been able to travel um is just super cool um it's also nicer now that there are more flights than there used to be because 
I've right. had to do the six hour drive with a driver that doesn't speak English. And you're like, are we going to make the flight and try to <laughs> do very, very broken Spanglish to communicate? Um, I, when I, the second time I went to Guatemala, they finally had the airport in Weiwei city in Weiwei Tenango, which cuts the something like eight hour trip into four hours but our pilot is texting as he's flying <laughs> on a 45 minute flight. And you're like, you're flying through mountains, like the yeah. elevation change. You literally watch suddenly the land is two thirds of the way up from where you were. And the pilot just texting as he's flying. And that's fun. That's one like, of my recurring nightmares actually is a plane, like flying through telephone poles and shit. Like, um, but <laughs> experience is Brazil. Like I've, I've done two trips to Brazil and have had moments that are just like, is this my life? Mm -hmm. um, first trip to Brazil when I won U.S. Roaster Championship, uh, we went up to Espirito Santos, which is a pretty new coffee growing region in northeast Brazil. And we started in this town that was mostly Italian immigrants. And... It was this weird, like, land trade, you know, come move here kind of thing. Yeah. I don't know the whole history of it. But we were going into these people's houses, and they would have, everyone had their own little shop in the front of their house where they sold their own cheese and their own cachaca and their own jubakaya wine. And one of the, one of the shops, I look, I look up, and it's this wood-paneled wall, and there's these pictures of the, their prize-winning cows. And I'm like, I feel like I'm in my grandmother's mom's farmhouse in the upper peninsula. This sure. looks the same. Like, this is so weird. And then a couple houses later, we go to this house and we're touring their coffee farm. And then the, the trucks pull to the bottom layer and we go into their grotto and there's four massive barrels of cachaca and the table is covered in small bottles and jars and they're all aging cachaca mm on different yes, woods and please. fruit. And then they pull up this massive steel bowl of fried polenta. Oh. And <laughs> with their grated with their house cheese. And it's like, come on. Oh my God. I want that so bad. Damn. Like this, like we're like just literally popping bottles of like was cachaca taste on this. And then nice. A couple days later, I'm on a, private plane into a runway between two coffee farms and the party that was supposed to be for us is taken over by the governor of Minas Gerais which is the largest province of Brazil he just helicoptered into our party in my room that was supposed to be my room I couldn't put my bags into in case he needed a room after lunch <laughs> Okay. And it was our party, and we were kicked. I mean, we've all been there, right? We were kicked <laughs> to the kitty table all the time. <laughs> but flying into this, flying, flying into this farm, there's a bottle oh, of shit. scotch, and it was yeah. it was Chivas Twelve. Yeah, but sure, flying out of this farm, we start joking about this bottle of scotch. Yeah, it's nine a.m. <laughs> and I'm on a private plane, and there's uh -huh. this bottle of scotch, and we start joking about it. Yeah, and the guy who's hosting us turns to us and says. It's on the plane. We paid for the plane. Yep. Get it. Are you not going to break into... When else are you going to be flying out of a coffee farm? Right. At 9 a.m. <laughs> on a private plane. On a private plane. And getting to drink 
scotch straight from the bottle. You know where you know where Chivas tastes way better on a private plane in the air over Brazil. <laughs> <a> PJ, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I may have had an eighty to ninety year old former F one racer using very graphic language of how you had to get the bottle, how to get get the whiskey out of the bottle because I had a poor cap. And that's a story for another time. <laughs> but folks, that'll be on the Patreon episode. <laughs> and then my second trip to Brazil. Best left of the imagination. The, 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 we walk up to the mill yeah. and we just smell smoke. And they're outside of the storage room where the newly harvested coffee is about to be stored in are six beef ribs on the smoker going for us when we get there. And we walk up and the fridge is just big bottles of Budweiser. And Budweiser's not my beverage of choice, but when a a big bottle of Budweiser is put in front of you... With a Flintstone rib? With a Flintstone (laughs) rib. And then the next night, we go to the house and there is... Two different breeds of beef, picanha. Oh, and here's that other breed, the same breed, but in the American cut of picanha by my chef. And, oh, here's a, a leg of ham. Like, yes, there's pictures Holy of me cutting leg of ham because yes. if there's a leg of ham, I'm going to cut, cut that and I'm going to ask mm. that guy over there, do you the, take a picture of you me. you like the giant curved blade guy? You take a picture of me cutting this <laughs> yes, leg of ham. you do. Yes, you Scimitar. do. But also, like, the last trip in Colombia, you know, we ended in Antigua, and we went to this. I'm not I'm not a cigar person, but we go to this little tiny cigar shop, and the guy's like, oh, yeah, these are my house line. Oh, I have these green wraps. These green wraps were the traditional Jamaican. Like, this is what the farmers, this is what the farmers could take home, and they were green wrapped mm-hmm. so that we knew it was a farmer's. Oh, and we also make these for the Green Bay Packers every year. <laughs> and I know some of you are Vikings fans, but I'm a Packer fan. <laughs> and being able to buy a couple and send them to my dad and be like, hey, they roll these for Aaron Rodgers every year, and I just smoked one. <laughs> Pretty cool point. And then going to the Zacapa house yeah. and drinking the full line of the Zacapa with mm-hmm. a Romeo and Juliet... I got some damn ass sexy pictures of me yes. <laughs> with thick billows of smoke. Oh yeah, that's beautiful. <laughs> that's all. That's a that's many layers of. Fun. I keep thinking like, and they're all moments. It's like coffee got me here. Like sure, and that was yeah. one of the coolest moments. I remember when I w- went to my first coffee competition nationals with Brewers Cup. I got to bring one of our baristas to help me out. And the first day we were in L.A. And I'd never been to L.A. before. The competition was in Long Beach. And going to Venice Beach, it's like, oh, like literally we're driving to the city. And it's like, oh, I saw this on TV. I saw that on TV. And going to Venice mm-hmm. Beach, and like, this is all the same place. That skate park and Muscle Beach and those shops are all the same place. All right there. After getting, so the guy I mentioned before who like, it's not a shaped, movie set. It's a city. shaped my view of coffee as saying like coffee is it's an both. indulgence. <laughs> yeah, he's now the head of 
product development for Intelligentsia. Oh. At that that time, nice. he was the trainer for Intelli Long Beach. Bailey's his name. He's, you know, kind of a superhero. So we go there, and Bailey's like, "I got you." And being that the national coffee competitions were in Long Beach the next day, Intelli pulled out all the stops, and he's just like, "We got you." So getting to do this, we're standing on the beach. We go to dinner with Bailey that night. We had done LA, like we'd done coffee in the morning, cocktail re- to reset us on the Ace Hotel rooftop. That's, a, that's you know, an amazing we did, rooftop. Yeah. We did the, the market so we could go to GMB. Yep. We like did all of it. Ramen, I woke up needing two bottles of water just to resaturate myself <laughs> in the morning. All the sodium you took it was in. So, so much. But just like turning to him and be like, Alex, you're standing on the beach in LA. Did you ever think Kapi would get you here? Because I didn't think Kapi would get me here. And it's these moments that it it sounds assholey to say of like, look what I did. No, not at all. But it's it's absolutely not that. It's I. I, re- I remember moving to the city. It's a story I've told a couple of times. It's but not opportunity. It's experience. I remember when I moved to the city, and the first conversation you have with anybody is, what do you do? Mm-hmm. And I moved to the city, and people knew that Spios had hired a roaster. And that was me. And that was really weird and humbling and strange for me. And I was a couple of days away from going to my first coffee buying trip for Spy House. And as I was telling somebody what I did and what I was about to do in a couple of weeks, and they're like, oh, I heard about you. Like, you, you're the guy from Spy House. Like, that's really exciting. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to, like, I'm going to El Salvador and Colombia in, in two weeks. Or El Salvador and Costa Rica in a couple of weeks. And I remembered being intern at the church that I was interning at as a graphic design intern just after I graduated and hearing about somebody whose job was to be the coffee buyer for Intelligentsia when Intelligentsia ran that shit. And I thought, could you imagine what their palette is like that they get to their job? It is to travel for Intelligentsia to buy their coffee. And my trajectory was, I want to be a graphic designer photographer and somehow my weird world spiraled on itself where I completely forgot about this memory. And now it's my job to travel the world and buy coffee for somebody. And weird, weird stuff has happened because of that. But it just, it's put your head down, do your shit, get your job done. And both of you are incredibly accomplished people who have done amazing, great things because you put your head down and you did dope shit and dope shit's folded back on it. I I, I 100% agree with you, but I will also kick it back to what you said at the very beginning of this episode in that also, if you look at the world as a whole, our life is a luxury. So I better appreciate every aspect of that. Like, I have to constantly remind myself because I will, again, with that constant running brain, 
I will always find a way to figure out what am I not doing right? What can we obsess over? How can we do better? Why are we not doing better? And then how is that endemic and very, uh, I, I have issues with depression and anxiety. So I will also then get stuck on like, why is that also a part of exactly who you are genetically? <clears throat> and then I have to get myself out of it every now and then and take a deep breath and say, holy shit, the fact that Charles, one of my best friends on earth and my partner on this podcast can ask a question about like, what was something meaningful to you uh, that you experienced in South America? And I have multiple answers for that question. Like that alone is insane to me sometimes to think about that. Like I had to be like, well, can I count Costa Rica or shit? Like, like that, this is an incredibly fortunate life. And for me, it's like, I, I'm not trying to denigrate anything that I've done. I'm also not trying to over celebrate. It is just, I've done a lot of weird things and it's, it's ended up with a lot of crazy experiences, right? So the best thing that I can do is try and take stock of all of those and learn something from that. And like, it's been absolutely fascinating to hear your experiences with some of the, like these farms and all that. Like I can't even fathom because when I've traveled, it's, I've tried to get as far away from the tourist path as I can, but I've never traveled outside of this country for work. So I've never really been able to kick off the yokes of, of tourism as much as I try to get off the beaten path. It's like, it's amazing <laughs> to even like fathom some of those experiences like the private jet landing between two coffee farms i'm amazed by that but i don't know like i guess like looking at it from like uh, i mean what do you think can we count costa rica in this question make make this question your own all right if you got a good costa rica story then it qualifies well i like for me in costa rica the thing that 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 blew me away the most was that they still value quiet. Like I didn't, the first time outside of the boundary waters in Northern Minnesota that I really felt like I was somewhere where I was completely off the grid. And the span of my last trip to the boundary waters to when I went to Costa Rica was I think 14 years, but uh, we rented a house that was, on the water, but it was a part of a, a sea turtle preserve. So after sundown, you can't have lights on. There's nothing. And I'm not good at quiet in the house, much like, you know, we were talking about earlier. I, I can't listen to the sound of like my water heater in the background bubbling every now and then and like some idiots down the block. But being on the coast and listening to the ocean crash and knowing that after sundown, like, that's it. Boy, I got used to that really quick. And I would 100% take that back. I, I would give any, like, that was life-changing for me because it reminded me how much I needed to re-interject silence into my life. And I've not done great at it, but I've been trying to find more calming of those moments. But uh, from a food standpoint, it was the fact that uh, a friend of mine who's Colombian was like, yo, go see my girl. She owns a place in Bogota, Colombia called I Love Chicharrones. And I was like, wait, what? She's like, no, it's literally called I Love Chicharrones. And 
all they do is kick down like giant chunks of literally pork belly and you can get different sauces tossed on them. And I have never Mm. ever met a food concept that I wished existed in this country (laughs) more than that. And literally the best part was, so they didn't sell it, but you walk out of there and like they serve it to you in like a, like a giant paper cone, like something that would be perfect at a state fair. Right. So you get your, cone of perfectly deep fried cubes of pork fat and pork belly and you can get sauces or dry rubs tossed uh tossed on everything and then you walk out and then there's a guy who has orange juice from nine different oranges and you have to pick which one you want and then you can walk down the street and literally like eat fried meat out of a paper cone and drink the best orange juice you've had in your life and then at the end of it you crumple up two small paper cones and you toss them in the recycling and you go about your day. That again, reminded me how up our own ass we are because we would have to put like a bun around it and then like somehow stuff some starch in there and figure out like everything else and then do like a teriyaki glaze. Like, no, it can just be that easy. Sounds like like I said, man, dude, Columbia, like, it's simple as it gets. Fresh yep. orange juice and some Bra- like pork belly. Brazil does like Brazil gets all like the Trascos like yeah, but let's just let's bring it down one level, yep. and we're just gonna we're kick just gonna, its ass. We're just gonna kill it on like a pretty awesomely basic level, and it, like oh my god, like I loved I loved it. Like we could just cruise by there dip in it was like a quick serve concept you'd crush it and you again you're walking out with like like a six-sided die sized chunk of deep fried pork belly tossed in some of the most amazing flavors ever and then you're just picking up like a guy who's pressing the juice in front of you and walking about your day and most drones are bad yes yes (laughs) i've like most pork rinds, most of your owns, bad, but you eat them because you kind of got to prove that you can get down on them. And you want like a weird salty snack that you can just sort of let dissolve. But and, then, yeah. then you go to Columbia and Over. you get... And I love that chicharrones. Like, I love that from the outside, you're like, what do they serve? It's literally called, I love chicharrones. That's it. <laughs> it's I heart symbol... Chicharrones. And if you That's don't it. love it, keep walking. Keep going. Let, look, look we, we we named the club after what you're going to get. If you don't want to come in, that's fine. Move along. Guess what? Everybody wants that. But I also have gone to a Texas-style barbecue place on opening night in Brazil with <laughs> two Texans. And I'll tell you, not all pieces are equal. Fair, 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 fair. I, I'm just saying that experience was incredible for me. Uh, I mean, Charles, you you spent a ton of time in South America. Like, what's what's your uh, well, answer to that one? The, I I felt like I had told this story previously, but I asked you earlier, and you said I don't think you've told that story. Mm-mm. But when I was in Chile, in Santiago, in also 2015, hold on, hold on, hold on. I 
lofted this softball up to you to pretend like we hadn't had this conversation. And I love that you were just like, yeah, I mean, we've already talked about this. So I you just, know that. Like, no. Well, yeah, because I don't, I don't want to tell the same story twice. No. I'm like pretty anal about that. You're when, like, I don't trust Kwam's memory. I may have told this story to the rest. I feel like I would remember if I did, but I yeah. wanted you to just give me the extra no, we good. check mark. Anyways, when I was in Chile, uh, the night I arrived, uh, it was for the South American Beer Championships, and I was at a judge's dinner, and they were doing churrasco on this like really nice grill behind this brew pub. And it was like the whole night I stood next to that grill, and they just kept throwing meats on it. And they're very meat-oriented in in that city, which is a gigantic city, by the way. That's just South America in general. Like, Sure. If you're not so, traveling with powder greens, <laughs> pro tip, <laughs> travel with powder greens. Uh, so we went to... <laughs> we ended up going to a steakhouse on like the fourth night after judging. And... I is the first time I'd ever gone to like a nice steakhouse in in the area, and I didn't have any form of reference for what a steak actually uh, was in like like size wise. Yeah. Or, okay. So uh, I I saw their giant grill, like their giant elevator grill over all the hot coals and the smell of sizzling meats, and I was just like enthralled. And we were eating uh, scallops on the half shell with the belly still on. Oh yeah. Razor clams. Uh, they had like fresh baked breads. We were drinking like they had this massive wine list where like the most expensive bottle was $33. And it came time to order our entrees, which were steaks, of course. And the most expensive cut on the menu was $6. So I looked down the menu and of course I was like thinking of my terrible Spanish and trying to figure out, am I ordering the right thing? And I was trying to like interface with people like, okay, does that mean ribeye? Does that mean... So when it came my turn to order, because there was like 15 of us at the table, I said, okay, I'll take the... And I believe the equivalent was, I'll take the ribeye, and then I'll take um, a, a, a New York and uh, a sirloin. Like I kept, And then the guy sitting next to me, <laughs> the guy sitting next to me, his name is Alvaro. He grabs me like really hard by my shirt, like, like crumples up my shirt and pulls me and goes, no, 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 no. And I was like, what? And he goes, just one, man, just one. And I was like. You just handed the like, menu back. You're like, I'll take uh, the whole no, thing. I said, I said, it's it's $6. How how big could it be? Just literally what I said to him, because I pointed at the most expensive steak, which is the ribeye. I said, $6. How big could it be? And he pointed up at the wall of like a giant mural print of steaks, which was like, you know, the size of a couch. He pointed at the steak on the wall. And I was like, all right, I guess I'll just start with this one. So I bought the $6 ribeye and it came out, it was like 30 ounces. It's fucking gigantic. And I was like, how is this possible? How is it that that is $6? And of course the bill comes to the table and we're like eating and drinking. We finished the night with dessert and a bunch of Pisco Sours and we each paid like $20. Yep. So uh. it's a wonderland. And yeah, that was, that was a lot of our experiences there. And that's fun because we were judging beer, but every evening after we were done judging beers because i think i judged 116 beers that week every evening when we were done judging beer we did everything but drink beer <laughs> so we were drinking pisco sours we were eating ceviche we were eating you know grilled meats drinking red wine that constituted all of our evenings and i have a lot of great 
food and beverage experiences from that trip, including beer. I mean, even earlier when, Tony, when you remarked that even if you made a better cup of coffee, if the degrees were wrong, that's that just reminded me of judging beer and how uh, if you're uh, if you're not true to style, it could be it could be really tasty, but if it's not the style, I remember the best half of Ison that I had in Chile. You've was, told me about this. It tasted like Tang. Yep, it was really tasty, but it was not a half of Ison. So I got like practically, you know, it ranked very low for style. But it was satisfying to drink. Just like, hey, that's this isn't a what you made isn't a hefeweizen. It's really satisfying, but you it's did a great not, beer. You did not make a hefeweizen. Find a different category. The the beer in uh, South America story reminded me of so one of the pieces of that first Brazil trip when I won the competition and like we had the flight and all that crazy stuff. Um, it ended up being the birthday of the son that was going to inherit the company that hosted us. So we went to a soccer match and we're driving through the city and it's like, oh, there's all these people like this would be so fun. They're like, no, we can't go to the bus. We pull literally under the stadium. We had our own box and like it all was what it was. But before that, we went to Walls in um, Sao Paulo, I believe. No, where were we? Anyways... There was a beer made for us at the best brewery in Brazil. And amazing. Amazing. This is after this crazy trip. So, like, when we flew into the farm, we did this whole thing where we literally had a coffee roaster set up in the farm, in the trees, and we had espresso machine set up in the trees, and we did this whole. <laughs> I was roasting coffee with the fumes of the roaster blowing onto the trees growing coffee. <laughs> and we, so we end up at this. Hold on, hold on, real quick. You can't tell me that you don't understand why Wes Anderson <laughs> films get put in coffee studios when you tell me that story. Like, that is literally a scene. Jason Schwartzman is sitting at a branch somewhere, and then Owen Wilson is going, wow. It, it was a broken nose. There's a reason why I didn't want to take second and go back the next year. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, when they told me they were making custom boots for us. Um, and it was, it was a whole thing. But we end up at Walls. And there's this white ale with their coffee in it for us. And I end up talking to the brewer. And he's like, he mentions 10 barrel. It's like, wait. Mm-hmm. Like you in the, know in Oregon? Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, you know, I forget her name, but like, you know her from Timber? He's like, yeah, we were up there last year. I was like, I live there. Like, I I worked with her sister. And we just started going, it was like boneyard to shoots, all this stuff. And it's like, I'm at this moment of having this absolutely surrealistic moment of I'm in a brewery that has this weird beer made for a party that's for me as a American champion of a game. It's a game Mm -hmm. and I happen to win the game and you play by the rules and you win the game. And it doesn't mean that I'm the best roaster in the country. I played the game the best and you got to have the skill to play the game, but it's a game. And this weird moment of I'm talking to the head brewer and he's like, oh yeah, this beer on the menu 
is in reference to that brewer that you knew at this town three places ago that you lived. So wild. That I got to hang out with last year and tour. And it's like this, it's just, and that's the cool thing about this world mm-hmm. of that. It's so small and it's so weird. And that coffee as something that doesn't really matter has made these strange connections all over the world I was looking the other day I was calling up references from someone I'm looking to hire. And one of his references is a guy that I hung out with in college 15 years ago that I've not mm. talked to since. I was like, Hey, I know that name. <laughs> Hold on. Oh, I know. Wait, that's the same state. Shit. I know your old boss. And like, it just, it's a beverage and it doesn't matter. And it's luxury and it doesn't matter. But it really kind of matters. But again, I'm going back to the metaphor of this whole thing is a luxury. So why not try and find the best experiences that we can? And that's, I don't know, hashtag celebrate everything is something that we've been pushing for two plus years now. Like all of that, everything that you've just said, everything that we've talked about on this, all of these experiences have been a luxury. It wasn't anything that, that I needed to do to survive. It's the things that have given all of the color to the painting of my life. So why not try and celebrate that at every chance that we can? Every time I look up and I say, this is pretty neat. Like to quote Kurt Vonnegut, if you can't look up every now and then and said, say, this is, this is pretty good. I love this. Like, what's the point? I mean, we're given all of these experiences that a good portion of the world don't have in this realm. I'm, I'm sure at every experience in life, there are wildly amazing things that happen, but we're fortunate enough to be able to travel the world and to have all these crazy things and to intermingle with cultures that are foreign to what we grew up with and move around and meet people who are different than the people that we grew up with and learn from them and try and embrace everything. And if we can't celebrate that, then I don't know what else this world could give you to celebrate. Like that's, that's it for me. This this is what I love. And that's part of what I love about what this has given us. Like just getting to sit down and talk to you. This has been incredible. Um, Speaking of that. uh Oh, here we go. (laughs) Uh, We just got dimmer in here for those of you that can't hear the visual. Um, uh, for those of you that want to follow along, especially that want to get involved in the the Acorn uh, side of your business, how can they find your coffee and how can they order it for themselves? Yeah, um, so Acorn Coffee Club is just acorncoffeeclub.com, uh, silverbirdcoffee.com. If you, want to, if you want to have a little more choice in what you get, um, if you're a cafe looking to get coffee for your cafe, um, yeah, uh, if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's Tony Q Tostador, uh, T-O-S-T, no A, because it's that's how you spell it in <laughs> a Latin-speaking country, and coffee is a Latin-speaking grown product, and that's a whole other piece, but yeah, um, if you've made it this far and you're not <laughs> annoyed out of my voice... That's how to find me. Yeah. Uh, and one more time, can we reiterate kind of what the Acorn Coffee Club is? 
Yeah, so Acorn Coffee is a subscription program. Every two or four weeks, every month, we change out the what we call the magic seeds. Um, we That has a bunch of history to the name, but kind of um, we believe that coffee is magic seed. You know, the, the fruit produces a seed that's supposed to grow into another fruit, but it produces beverage you drink. That's kind of magic. Yep. Shouldn't be that way. Um, and... You want to go on a little coffee trip every month, but have something you'd like every weekday. Go Acorn if you want to go on a little more of a ride and trust us. Check out Silverbird. Love it. Heck yeah. Uh, Charles, anything you want to throw some shine on? Not at all. (laughs) All right. Well, then I'm just going to tell you all that we love you very much. And uh, hey, you know what? Tonight, especially, I hope we uh, we gave you guys a little bit of fun for the morning and the evening when you're thinking about your routines. But all in all, uh, I love what we talked about earlier in that uh, a lot of the things that we enjoy are, in fact, a luxury. So why not be uh, cognizant of those decisions that we make and, and pick the best things. Pick the companies that are doing the best things in the world and support the people that we can. Uh, we talked a lot before we started recording tonight about farmers markets. Again, uh, if you really want to see better things happen in your world, especially in your community, please support farmers markets because the more money that farmers get and the more notoriety they get, the easier it's going to be for them to help support the restaurants that you love and the communities that you love. Uh, food deserts are an incredibly awful thing. And unfortunately in every community that I've ever traveled to, they're everywhere. So just please support the people that are local to you and support the people that are doing things to shine on the people that support the people around you. And outside of that, we love you all. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. Cheers. Cheers.